On the Tech Night Out Live this week, we'll be talking to Joe Kisso, prolific author, all about the paperless office, the reality, the vision. We'll see what happens. We'll hear from Jason Snell from Macworld Magazine about the brand new Mac App Store. As a TV expert, he'll talk about his favorite shows. Then we'll hear from Stephen Levy from Wired Magazine. All this and more this week on the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs> We have Joe Kissel, author of many millions of books on lots of subjects, on different technology areas, but also he writes books on Thanksgiving and how to prepare the best Thanksgiving dinner. But since I don't cook and I don't play a cook on TV, I've never tried that myself, but maybe next year. But let's seriously look into the dream. The dream, when personal computers first came out, was paperless office. The paperless office, you know, where everything could be stored then on floppy disk or some kind of storage medium. You wouldn't have to worry about having this paper explosion to deal with. So, of course, we all bought printers, and now I have more paper to deal with than ever. So how do we take control of our paperless office? How do we even create one? Is it possible? All you have to do is read this little 118-page book, e-book, of course, not a paper book, and follow my simple directions. Okay, that's it. End of the interview. Joe, it's been nice having you. No, it's more involved in that. Well, you know, uh, it's, it's interesting to me that despite the explosion of of small electronic devices, the Kindle, the iPad, the iPod Touch, the iPhone, all these devices that are so great at storing and displaying information, not to mention, you know, laptops and other sorts of computers, it's uh, kind of amazing to me that despite the proliferation of devices designed to store and display digital data, whether it's the Kindle, the iPad, the iPod Touch, the iPhone, uh, other smartphones, laptops, whatever, despite the fact that digital data is so prevalent and devices for for working with it are also so prevalent, people are just addicted to printing. Printers are selling better than ever. A new version of the iOS adds support for printing. (laughs) So there is an endless amount of interest in Printing, uh, and yet at the same time, as people are buying, you know, new printers, and Apple's introducing printing support in iOS and all these other things, people seem to be unhappy about it. They want to print, but yet they wish they didn't have so much paper. They wish they didn't have to. Partly, th- this this idea of the paperless office is a matter of y- you have to really want it. You can do it. We can get by without most of the paper we use. But it requires a certain frame of mind. It requires a certain attitude that you have to be willing to let go of it. You have to be willing to say, I will display information on a screen rather than on a piece of paper. Now, this is a big issue, Joe, the comfort factor. So, for example, I'll read something on the screen and I'll read a few pages 
But when I have 10, 15 pages, it becomes less comfortable on the screen. Maybe it's better on the iPad. Maybe it's better on the iPhone for whatever reason. But reading extended text on a computer display, that always tends to be less flexible. Yeah, uh, I, I hear you. I hear you. And I, I agree to some extent. Now, as I say in this book, I am not saying that, you know, paper is the enemy and must be wiped out. I, I'm not anti-paper by any means. I still use paper. Uh, it has many fantastic uses that digital stuff cannot currently replace. However, uh, a lot of the arguments, you know, people advance for, I, I have to use paper because of this, can be solved with technology. For, uh, for Christmas, uh, Santa Claus or Père Noël got me a 27-inch iMac and a 27-inch cinema display to go with it. So, so they have I, two displays that are basically equal. Yes, they are. They're exactly the same size, and they they you know, uh, what what I like to do. What I was just doing before we started this uh, conversation was I was editing a word file, and by just reducing the magnification to seventy five percent, which is still perfectly readable, uh, I was able to display eight pages of this document at a time on one of these monitors. So if I use them both at the same time, I could I could display sixteen pages at once. Now, I don't have space on my desktop. I can't remember the last time where I had a desktop or a table anywhere in the house that I could lay out 16 different papers and see them all at the same time. I just don't have that kind of desk space. So that's just one example. There are a, a lot of uh, a lot of situations where it, it, it is easier to work with real paper because, and then whatever the reason is, you know, example, because you can see more things at a time, you don't have enough digital display space to, to display a lot of things. Well, that's a solvable problem. Um, with the iPhone and other electronic gadgets, uh, carrying a lot of stuff with you is no longer a problem. There still are problems. I mean, uh, you know, if you get your notepad wet, you can still read it. If you get your iPhone wet, you can't still use it. You so, need a new iPhone. Yeah. So, th so there are there are certainly things that paper can do that uh, an electronic gadget would not do. If you like to, for example, read in the bathtub, I would ra really not recommend taking your Kindle or your iPad in the bathtub. Well, maybe uh, they'll have a submersible model. Perhaps they will. I would I would probably buy one. Uh, but uh, but the point is uh, within within reason, uh, a lot of the arguments. Uh, in favor of paper or against electronics can be solved. You, you just have to, you know, think through what the real issue is and, and how to address it. So in this book, uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying get rid of all paper, it's evil. I am saying look at all the advantages of replacing most paper with files in digital formats. Look at the fact that you can now back up all of your documents, whereas it's kind of complicated to back up paper documents. They'll take up less space. They'll weigh less. They'll be searchable. You can share them more easily with other people. You can annotate them without damaging them. There, there are just a long list of things that you can do with digital documents that will make your life simpler than when you are forced to deal with only paper. So I say, yes, use paper when you need to, but uh, look for opportunities to replace paper with digital copies. And I, and I talk a lot about the 
process of how you do that and how you can get digital versions of documents created and 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 usable in an even better way than paper. You know, one thing you can also do is ditch the fax machine. You know, there are still people who use faxes. They send oh, yes. paper faxes. I mean, you can have electronic faxes. And if you get one of those internet phone services, you know, we have phone power over here, but like Vonage, for example, you get one of those internet phone services, and the nice thing about them in terms of getting rid of faxing is they do not work well with faxes. So the usual workaround, of course, is to use electronic faxing, but what happens when you have the paper copies? You have to wean yourself from the habit of using the fax machine. Right. Well, I have a whole chapter in this book in this book about faxing without paper, and uh, it you know it is not without its challenges for people who are you know who, whose work, for example, requires them to use fax a lot. That still is necessary in certain professions, uh, but it's possible. And I I have been doing paperless faxing since. I don't know, the early 1990s. I mean, this is really, really old news to me. There was a company um, called eFax. Are they still in business, eFax? I believe so. But, you know, you can you can sign up for any number of services that will give you a fax number. And when, when a fax is received, it's emailed to you or, or conveyed to you in some other electronic form. And then you can send out outgoing faxes either by email or, or a web form or various other methods. Now, one um, of the things about faxing, which I'll bring up in a moment, but first to tell you, we have Joe Kissel, prolific author of many thousands of Take Control books, including Take Control of Your Paperless Office, which becomes the focus of this interview. We'll get into some other stuff a little bit later. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from some many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you can download a version that is mostly full featured try it out and if you like it it's just 34.95 for graphic converter from lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e-s-o-f-t.com lemkesoft.com for my favorite graphic converter Again, the Congressional Budget Office sounds the alarm, this time warns of Greek-style U.S. debt crises. You heard me right. The GAO is drawing a parallel between the U.S. economy, its debt, and the current Greek economic meltdown. With the debt-to-GDP chart climbing into unfamiliar territory, the growing budget deficit will rise to unsupportable levels. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. The Federal Debt and Risk of Financial Crises document the CBO has published is a must-read for every American, covering the risk of continued deficit spending coupled with an aging population and the rising interest rates spell economic disaster. 
It's imperative that you get a copy of this document and study it for yourself. Call me today at 800-686-2237 and I'll send you a free copy. Again, call 800-686-2237 and ask for your copy of the CBO document. Once again, you need to read this government report. Call 800-686-2237. This special announcement is brought to you by Renaissance Charge. Have you ever wondered if you could make your car run on 100% electric power for free? It is now possible. How about a simple device that is both a super efficient motor and a free energy generator at the same time? What if this could also be used to restore useless batteries and save you lots of money? Because our customers asked for it, we have organized a Renaissance Charge Conference Workshop on July 29th to July 31st at the beautiful Coeur d'Alene Resort in Idaho. Not only will you see these fascinating energizers, but you will be able to build some alongside genius inventor John Bedini. Participate in this truly historic event featuring our cutting-edge alternative energy Tesla technology. Register early for the best seats and advanced workshop by visiting rcharge.com. That's r-charge.com for details. Or call 208-772-4514. That's 208-772-4514. Hi, I'm here talking with Don Wiskin of HeartDrop.com. I understand that you changed the name of your product, Don. Yes, we did. It's now Extendivite, meaning to extend your life. Wow, extend your life. Everybody wants to extend their life. How is it made, Don? Well, Extendivite is made from herbs gathered from many different parts of the world. We chose seven of the heart and health-related herbs known to improve your health. Your heart drops have always kept me from feeling sick or run down, Don. Will Extendivite continue to do the same thing for me? Yes, it will. All we changed was the name. I'm here because at 42, I had a heart attack and the garlic cayenne drops gave me back my life. We have been talking with Don Wiskin about his exciting new product called Extendivite. To get your Extendivite, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit his website at heartdrop.com. That's H-E-A-R-T-D-R-O-P dot com. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night Owl community forums at forum.technightowl.com Get in on all the action. That's forum.technightowl.com We return. Joe Kissel, author of Take Control of Your Paperless Office, and we're trying. So, of course, with faxing, one of the deficiencies of faxing is the very, very low resolution. If you send a PDF version, whether scanned on your scanner or sent as a file, it's much sharper, much easier to read, especially contracts. I mean, oh, they sure. can stick a lot of stuff in a contract because the resolution of a fax is so poor. It's so 1970s. Right. Well, uh, there there are just many, many advantages to, uh, to to ditching fax and to ditching a lot of the a lot of the things that uh, I mean, uh, for for a lot of us, it's it. It's not that we're unaware that these options exist, but it's just a matter of habit. I mean, I, I know some people who still really prefer to get all of their bills on paper and to write checks and put them in the mail. 
And it's not that they aren't aware that paperless billing and electronic transfers and that sort of stuff exists, but they've done it this way for all their lives. They have a level of comfort and security about doing it this way. They're because of the workflow that they have adopted. It's, it's easier for them to keep track of, you know, what, you know, bills are due or what bills have been paid if they do it in paper form. So, you know, as, as I was saying before, to a certain extent, it's, it's not about, it's not a question of awareness so much as getting yourself over some, some mental hurdles. And, and I, and I try to say, Hey, look, you know, if, if you just can't, that's okay. You don't have to completely replace all the paper in your life. But again, to the extent that you can look how much happier you'll be, how much easier life will be. Now, a lot of companies offer, and these are credit card companies, even car lease companies, car finance companies offer paperless billing. But wouldn't it be nice if these bills could link, say, to people who have like iCal or some Windows equivalent where you get a bill, it automatically creates a due date in your online calendar so you know, okay, I've got to make that payment on January 27th or whatever it is. Yeah, uh, I mean, there there are a lot of things that would certainly be nice, and perhaps they will appear in the future. You never know. But even with you know the way things are today, as long as you are willing to uh, potentially change your habits a bit, you can have a, a pretty nicely automated life. Now, one of the things that you will do, and you mention in your book, is the fact that you take your paper documents, you scan them. And yeah. you use OCR software, which is optical character recognition, to store the specifics of that document, the text, or just to create pictures of the document, which might be more flexible. The problem I've had with OCR is in the past it hasn't been very accurate. What is OCR software like in 2011? It's much, much better. Uh, my My early... Experiments with OCR were just like yours. The accuracy was terrible, and back in the day, you know, uh, you'd 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 scan something, you'd run it through OCR software, and the end result would be, you know, a Word document or a text document or whatever that didn't really look anything like the original, and it had a lot of mistakes too. And you kind of look at this and go, "Well, what's the point?" You but, know, I'll give you an example of this. Back in the days of traditional typography. We used to use OCR equipment to try to scan printed documents and then bring them into the computer terminal and then edit them and then produce the hard copy output, the typeset Mm -hmm. output. And what happened here is that you see human beings make very specific types of typos. Is they have the, T-H-E, it's T-E-H or something like that, which a lot of these autocorrect features will fix for you. But the problem with OCR is that the errors were random, eccentric, irrational, and you had to proofread everything anyway before you certified it as being accurate. Right. Well, you know, OCR still isn't perfect, and I'm sure it will never be completely perfect, but uh, a lot of things have happened in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Uh, Certainly the accuracy has improved a lot. And one of the great things that has has happened in recent years is that a a, a format called searchable PDF has become sort of a de facto standard. And basically, you know, you you scan the document, you get a picture, an an image, and uh, this gets put into a PDF file. So the PDF looks exactly like the original because it is a picture. But then the, the optical character recognition is performed and the text is sort of invisibly overlaid on this image. So you can double click a word and select it. 
even though it's a picture. You can you know, select a range of text. You can copy stuff out of this document. You can work with it just as though it were a, doc, you know, a PDF that were created on your Mac or a Word file or whatever. So uh, if there is an, an error in, in the copied text, for example, you can easily refer to the original picture and see what it was supposed to be. And if you decide at, at some future date you need to print this out or you need to print that out again, uh, you can get a copy that looks exactly like the original. So you get all the advantages of the picture plus all the advantages of the searchable, selectable, indexable text. Um, and so all of the all the tools I talk about in the book produce that sort of a PDF, uh, which is just a, an incredibly flexible type of document and, and super, super convenient. Now, recently we moved to a new apartment, and I won't get into the details because the place we lived at in the past was a disaster. So we go to this new place, and we sign the original documents, but the actual lease we signed online. Mm-hmm. So how do you have a legal online signature? I mean, if you try to scan a copy of your signature, I suppose you can insert that. But just typing your name is regarded as legal now? Well, it's kind of a long story, but basically there are there are different levels of uh, – there are different sorts of digital signatures. So – Merely typing your name online, um, I, I think it would be be difficult for for someone to sort of prove legally that this has the same weight as a, as a signature. However, um, there are I, I do talk about two different senses of di- digital signatures in the book. One is exactly what you say. You know, you scan your signature and then you use a, a program like PDF Pen to overlay it on an image on a pdf and then you can email that file or email or you know f- fax it by email or or even print it out if you really have to do that um and a lot of a lot of people and companies will accept those sort of pseudo signed documents um you, you wouldn't you know a company wouldn't uh, accept something like this for something like you know uh, a marriage certificate or uh, a will I or, hope not. you know, something, something where millions of dollars was at stake, you know. But, well, the other uh, issue here is with our apartment, the way it worked is logical because the actual application for the rental, for the lease, was done with physical signatures. I mean, right. we had to have a physical copy. We sent them a fax for credit approval and everything, but we had to bring in a physical copy for them. So they probably assume at that point that accepting the lease is an auxiliary function because the actual application forms the nature of your agreement with that rental organization. Speaking of yeah. agreements, speaking with all the interesting facts and permutations about the paperless office which we are exploring. We have Joe Kissel. The book is called Take Control of Your Paperless Office. If you go to takecontrolbooks.com slash paperless hyphen office tell you all about it. Joe Kissel joins us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, 
A coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockaways. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockaway, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Hello, at OfTheField.com, we strive to empower you with wild food preparedness. We get lots of amazing positive feedback, most of which we feature on OfTheField.com. Here's a small sample of all that people like you have to say about the wild food experience. As a homesteader attempting to live sustainably, I was floored by the amount of information in this book. Dear Linda, I would be hard-pressed to express how much you have impacted my life. I'm amazed by the wealth of the author's knowledge and the depth of the coverage in this book. As we see more and more GMO foods on the shelves, this information is good to know. I am thankful to God for you, Linda. I can't say enough about this book. Blessings to you and your family. The greatest effect this book has had on me and my family is that we truly see Earth's bounty everywhere. Folks, thanks for letting us help you get back to basics. Read all of the testimonials at ofthefield.com. You can order online for you and your loved ones or call 1-888-51-EAT-FREE to share in the secret. Becoming a modern smoker is now easier and more cost-effective, thanks to LeSig. Traditional smokers the world over love LeSig. E-cigarettes with a look, feel, and taste of real cigarettes, but without the nasty smoke, ashes, or stains. LeSig is powered by revolutionary microelectronic technology. A small, rechargeable battery and unique replaceable cartridge provide all the satisfaction and benefits of smoking without the smoke and all the hazards. See the large variety of LeSig e-cigarette supplies and accessories at LeSig.com. That's L-E-C-I. LeSig is competitively priced, comes with the best customer service, a 30-day warranty, and satisfaction guaranteed. What a great gift idea. For a 10% discount, mention GCN when you call 870-518-4307. That's 870-518-4307. Ask for fast, free, same-day shipping. Order online at LeSig.com and use promo code GCN at checkout. That's L-E-C-I-G.com. LeSig for today's modern smoker. Fight back this cold and flu season with the world's best garlic extract, Alley C. Why Alley C? Because it helps your body fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Alley C has been scientifically proven in double-blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Alley C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin, the active ingredient in crushed garlic. Studies show Alley C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Alley C has the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic. Alley C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Alley C. For more information and to order Alley C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 1-877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com for your Alley C today. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. G-C-N. Great talk radio starts here. You're listening to the Tech Night All Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what to expect. 
Dream or Reality, The Paperless Office. We're talking with Joe Kissel. Take control of your paperless office. He's showing us how. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Now, just parenthetically, this occurs to me as we talk about paperless anything, and that is paperless learning. I mean, right now, students go to classrooms with this humongous backpack, weighing them down with 30 or 40 pounds, it seems, maybe not that much, of books. And we hope when the iPad came out, we would have a paperless situation where all the textbooks would be on the iPad. You can do your editing, your homework on the iPad, or bring it in from your Mac or PC or something very easily. That hasn't happened. What went wrong? Well, uh, you know, there there are sort of a number of a number of issues with with things like textbooks. I mean, one is uh, a lot of schools can can barely afford to to buy recent textbooks for the students, much less buy you know iPads for all the students and keep them you know maintained and upgraded and repaired and all those sorts of things it's it's a non-trivial expense so that's and then of course in addition to paying for the electronics they'd still have to pay a publisher for the rights to the text of the textbooks so one of the problems is simply expense it's it's not a cheap thing to do to replace books with electronics in fact i face the same problem here you know i have a bookshelf here with whatever a couple hundred books on it and a lot of them are available in electronic form in the iBookstore or in the Amazon Kindle bookstore or whatever. And I'd, I'd love to be able to clear off these books and save the space and get searchable copies and, and all those great things. But then I'd, I'd have to just repurchase all those books that I already have, and I don't have the money to do that. So that, you know, there's, there's a practical issue there. Um, there are, you know, worries about, you know, students are going to use these for playing games and for, you know, doing, you know, IM and web surfing and goofing off instead of doing their work. Um, there are issues about, well, what if the, you know, what if it's stolen? What if it's broken? There, there are just sort of a lot of things, partly financial, partly cultural, partly, uh, you know, society just sort of has to ease into this and get used to it. Certainly iPads have been uh, deployed in a number of colleges and and other schools uh, on a limited or experimental basis, and I expect to see a lot more of that. Um, but uh, it's just you know paper is so entrenched that it's going to take a while for everyone to figure out you know how do we make this all make sense for everybody in a digital form. But I think it'll happen. Well, here one of the issues, of course, we also have is the time it takes. I mean. If you have, you know, you're a young married person, you have a couple hundred sheets of paper, you figure, okay, fine. And you have all these multifunction printers now that have a document feeder. So you can run 30 or 40 copies at a stretch and have it do its thing. We understand that. But you're sitting there and you've got a couple of thousand or more pages of stuff sitting there in your file cabinet. How does one develop the discipline to get through that daunting task, really? Well, uh, I, I talk about exactly that that question in the book. Um, you know, the first thing that I would say is that if if you have a, a lot of papers that you want to digitize, uh, you should definitely use the right tool for the job. I would not use one of those multifunction machines for digitizing thousands of pages because it's going to be too slow and require too much manual intervention. I would use a scanner that's designed for high-speed, very accurate scanning. And I talk about a lot of these types of scanners in the book. They might set you back 
two, three, four, five hundred dollars, depending on you know how many features you want and how fast it is and so forth. But uh, when you consider all the time you'll save. Uh, I, I think it's really, really worth it. Um, I have on my desk a, a Fujitsu ScanSnap. They make a whole bunch of uh, uh, you know scanners in that line, um, and it scans both sides of the page at once. It does I don't know twenty five pages a minute or something um, in color or black and white. And uh, I just, you know, drop a stack of documents in, press the button, they zip right through, and then my software converts them to a searchable PDF. Now, the question is, how many pages does it hold at one time? uh, This particular one, I believe, holds 50 pages at a time. uh, And different models, you know, you can buy some that will hold only 10 pages, some that will hold 100 pages, whatever. But... um, the you know but the but the but the thing is what well, it's not a matter of how many pages it can hold at a time because even if it holds a thousand pages you're probably not going to be scanning a single document that's a thousand pages long it'll be you know one that's ten pages long and one that's fifty pages long and well that's that the other thing long. too you have a thousand documents each of which ranges from one or more pages do you scan them separately you'd have to wouldn't you well I I would I would scan them separately because that that makes more sense in the, in, the, in the way my workflow is organized. You could just say I'm going to stick a thousand pages in there, and I'll end up with a thousand a you know a one thousand page PDF, and then after the fact, I'll go in and split it into separate documents, which you may take forever. Yeah, it would take a while, sure. but it could be done. Um, but uh, but what I'm trying to say is that given the right tools. Um, you can you can scan at a, at a fairly good clip, and even if you only scan, you know, fifty document fifty pages a day, if you do that every day, uh, you can go through uh, thousands in uh, you know in a surprisingly short period of time. Uh, but I also have some other suggestions. You know, there are you can you can hire somebody to come in and scan for you. You know, a relative, a kid, a college student, whatever. You can. Um, there are there are companies that will just let you ship them boxes of paper, and they'll do the scanning. And they'll hand you back the paper and a CD with all the stuff on it. How do firms like that handle stuff? You might be sending them your tax or personal business record. Sure. Well, you definitely want to choose a firm that is reputable, that has a stated privacy policy, that will sign a contract agreeing to your you know keeping your stuff confidential in writing. Um, and don't accept a, a scan signature on that document either. Um, we understand so, yeah. that. What's the cost for something like that? Do they oh, have a per I, page thing or what? It, it's it's going to vary tremendously uh, depending on you know what how, how many documents, what kind, what resolution you want, uh, what kind of security you want. I, I couldn't even begin to tell you, but uh, I, I just know that that these sorts of, of firms do exist. And they so have it's, humongous it's machines where they can scan thousands oh, of pages sure. at a clip. Sure. Well, I mean, think about think about Google. They're scanning entire books by the thousands. If you're a big enough outfit, you you have access to that you know super super high speed machinery um, that that goes way beyond what anybody would buy for their desktop. Now, imagine if Google offered that service to everybody. Maybe someday they will. Google wants to take over the universe, and right now they have a problem because Facebook also wants to take over the universe and is getting more page views than Google. You've heard of that. Yeah, I have heard of that, yes. So you never know how things may work. Now, in terms of legal issues here, now, Mm -hmm. we talked about original signatures. 
mm-hmm. which is one issue, one potential issue where someone doesn't want to see a scanned signature. They want the original signature in ink or whatever you've done to make it an original. What about other documents? Is there any potential issues there in terms of legalities having scanned rather than original documents? Well, there is, uh, you know, I, I believe that in the past we've talked about something called digital signatures in connection with email. Sure. So in, in the email context or, or with digital files, there there is a way of basically proving that A, I am the person who sent this, not somebody else, and B, this document has not been altered in transit. Well, you can do the same thing with PDFs. Um, it requires uh, some kind of expensive software, and it's really not something that would be normally be done outside of a large corporation. But that, that is an example. There are mechanisms out there that, that uh, let someone go way beyond merely sticking a picture of a signature on a PDF to, uh, you know, they have a process to sort of technologically and legally guarantee that the force of your doing some operation on, on the computer has the same legal weight as applying, you know, a pen to paper. And this um, is nothing like the famous or infamous automated pen that would sign the president of the United States signature. <laughs> On the photographs that dates back, I guess, to the Kennedy administration. We have Joe Kissel. The book is called Take Control of Your Paperless Office, and we're exploring how this might be accomplished. I'm Gene Steinberg. This is the Tech Night Out Live. Does malware affect Max? Well, here's the truth. Malware writers are targeting Macs more and more, and you may be surprised to find out just how much malware there is out there. From Trojan horses to scareware, from macroviruses to spyware, Macs are facing new threats regularly. Find out about what types of malware affect Macs and how to protect yourself. Visit Intego.com. That's I-N-T-E-G-O.com. Intego.com. Hi, this is Tamar from Namecheap. We're a domain name and web hosting company, and we really care about our customers. With domain name purchases, Namecheap offers free SSL and free WhoisGuard for a year to protect your identity from spammers. Most importantly, we care about you. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at radio.namecheap.com, radio.namecheap.com for web hosting and domain name specials. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Namecheap or become a fan of ours on Facebook at facebook.com slash Namecheap. See you online. New year, new way to smoke, and it's Totally Wicked. Introducing Totally Wicked e-liquid electronic cigarettes, the highest quality e-cigarettes in the world. With Totally Wicked e-liquid cigarettes, there's no flame, no secondhand smoke, no carbon monoxide, no tar, no unsightly brown teeth or fingers, and no lingering smell. Totally Wicked e-liquid cigarettes have a battery charge that lasts up to eight hours. Plus, with a Totally Wicked tornado model, the average pack-a-day smoker is likely to save over $1,000 a year. The Totally Wicked tornado provides a storm of vapor. See it at totallywicked-eliquid.com. That's totallywicked-eliquid.com. Or call 888-761-9425. Get a 15% discount with promo code GCNLIVE. Go to totallywicked-eliquid.com. Or call 888-761-9425. That's 888-761-9425. Or online at totallywicked-eliquid.com. Totally Wicked e-liquid cigarettes. The next generation of alternative smoking. 
Alex told you the government announced recently that the recession is over. It ended on June of 2009. The millions of Americans unable to find work might not agree. Perhaps the recession ended for the bankers and government employees, but for the rest of us, things seem to be getting worse. Gold and silver haven't heard the news either. They've begun their long-expected journey to the moon. In addition to converting your shrinking dollars into gold and silver, you should consider a food savings account from eFoods Direct. They both make fabulous investments. Food is our greatest dependency, and we know it will be more precious than any financial resource. You and your family need food to survive a crisis, and you can't eat paper, stocks, or metals. Alex has been urging you to invest in delicious, easy-fix meals to enjoy now or save for long term. This will freeze the cost of your food while you can still afford it. Visit eFoodsDirect.com on the Internet or call 800-409-5633. That's eFoodsDirect.com or 800-409-5633. Normal blood pressure, naturally. How would that make you feel? I'm Don from New Mexico. January of 2000, I had a heart attack. Then my real health began going downhill, and I had uh, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, poor vision, and I really wasn't sleeping well. I was a mess, pretty much. Don reports dramatic improvements with heart and body extract. I started taking uh, heart and body extract, and from within a few days, I started sleeping a lot better. My blood pressure uh, normalized, my blood sugar normalized, and uh, my sleep really did improve. Experience these benefits and more when your body gets what it needs with the assistance of heart and body extract. Order at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305. That's hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305. And folks, I did not expect this at all. By the 7th, 8th, and ninth day, I saw dramatic improvements from taking heart and body extract. Details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305 for heart and body extract. On air, online, and on demand. We are the GCN Radio Network. You're listening to the Tech Night Out Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what to expect. One more segment with Joe Kissel. The book in question is called Take Control of Your Paperless Office, showing you how you can take all that stuff you've accumulated, all that paper, and basically reduce it to digital copies. And, of course, some of the skepticism about this is that digital formats can change over time, but paper is sort of forever if you have a way to preserve the paper. So what do you say about that? Absolutely. That is an issue. That is something you have to worry about. I believe you and I have talked once or maybe twice in the past about backups and obviously many times and we always (laughs) want to say we have to say it again and again and again backup 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 right if uh if you are going to do something like scanning paper and then ditching the originals you know shred it or, or recycle it or whatever um then backups become even that much more important because it's not merely that you know you sat down and wrote a letter and now you're backing that up. You are you know getting rid of the original of, of some some document that could be very very important. So if your only copy is digital, it is even more important than ever that it be backed up, preferably in multiple places, in multiple methods. You know, back up a copy locally, back up another copy online. If you if you decide to use you know, a CD or a DVD for your backups, those 
degrade over time too. Uh, even a hard disk can can lose data over time. So you want to check your backups periodically. You want to try restoring them. You want to periodically uh, refresh your media. You know, copy stuff onto new media. Uh, it, it's something you really don't want to mess around with. Now, um, I have a fast question that occurs to me. The IRS calls you in for an audit. Can you bring in the CD or DVD and say, let's go through everything, or are you going to be required to print it all out? Funny you should ask that. Uh, that, that very question came up during the technical review of the book, and I found an IRS document that lays out exactly their rules the short answer is yes, they will accept you know, scanned documents as long as they adhere to certain specifications and there is an IRA, a free IRS publication that you can download that I link to in the book that, that spells out what all the specifications are. But, but yes, you, the IRS will accept digital copies as long as they meet their criteria. Now, is this criteria something that's really difficult to achieve? No, no, no. Um, but – uh, you know, it has to have, you know, certain certain resolution and, uh, you know, certain records have to be kept. I, you know, I don't recall all the all the regulations off the top of my head. But uh, but as I say, there's this there's this free document that you can download that it, it's it's not not particularly onerous. It didn't seem to me. So it's something that maybe you should do this before you scan your tax information. This way you adhere to the regulations. What are the basic mistakes that people make in trying to go paperless? Well, uh, you know, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier. Uh, one mistake is, is having the wrong kind of scanner. The, the first time I tried this, I had a flatbed scanner. And I thought I was being very clever by buying a sheet feeder for my flatbed scanner. Um, but what I didn't realize was that, was that this was a, a scanner that was made for scanning photographs and uh, speed was not particularly an important quality so I could I could stick a stack of whatever you know 10 20 30 documents uh, on this on this page feeder and they would go through but they just went through so slowly it would take you know an, an hour to scan through a stack of papers and and then uh, if they were double sided, well, I'd have to like you know scan a document, flip it over, scan the other side, go into the computer, manually combine all the different pages into the right order into a single document, and then put that through OCR. And it was just it was a real hassle. So um, you know one of the mistakes is is not choosing the right tool for the job, and that applies to software too. I talk about I don't know twenty or so different programs that can do the OCR. Uh, some of them are better than others. Some of them are easier to use than others. Some of them are more accurate than others. You might be able to get perfectly good results with whatever just happens to be bundled with your scanner. Uh, or you might want to lay out a little bit more money to get something that's a little uh, more advanced. Uh, if you have special needs, like you're scanning a lot of receipts or business cards, and you don't want to just have the text on them. You want to say, well, here's a receipt, so I, I need to put this information into a database. I need to know what, what was the date, what was the amount, what was the vendor, um, uh, and I don't want to have to do all that manually. Well, there are a couple of programs that will, will do that for you. Uh, there's one by Mariner Software called Paperless. Uh, there's another called uh, Neatworks. Uh, the company makes both scanners and and software that works with other scanners uh, that's really designed mainly for receipts. Um, so if that's the sort of stuff that you're scanning, uh, it, it's 
you know, the using using the right software for that job will be of just inestimable value. Same thing with uh, business cards. There, there's software that's designed specifically for scanning business cards and then creating, you know, address book entries or, or other contact manager entries out of the information on those cards. Uh, if you just use regular OCR software, you'll have the text, but it, it won't mean anything, and you'll have to input all that data yourself. It'll be a real drag. You like to also sometimes see the actual bill, the bill with the letterhead and oh, all of the information. The yeah. business card, you want to see all the fancy business card stuff because that can be very valuable as part of your address book and a part of understanding the company and its purpose if you're doing business with them or will. Right. And and again, uh, most of these programs, uh, even if they are, you know, they're looking for data to put into a database, they will still save the underlying scan document as a searchable PDF, so you will be able to see the original. Okay, we're just about out of time with this segment, but can you give us in a couple of minutes flat something more about the book and the things we should look out for in going paperless? Well, you know, even though we, we talk a lot about scanning documents and that, I mean, that is a big deal because most of us do have a lot of paper that we would like to get rid of. Um, scanning will only take you so far. Uh, there's, there's sort of stuff that has to happen on either end, too. I mean, you have to head some paper off at the pass. So you, you have to look for all, all, of the, all of the ways in which paper comes into your life. People are mailing you paper. Uh, people are, you know, you're getting whatever, inter-office memos, or you're getting stuff put in your physical inbox, or whatever it may be. Um, and uh, I have some a lot of tips for identifying, you know, where the paper comes from and trying to avoid having the paper appear in your life in the first place. And then on the other end, there is all the paper that you would normally create. Uh, we talked about, you know, avoiding faxes, but uh, a lot of us just have a habit of hitting, you know, command piece, uh, you know, a piece of paper pops out of the printer, and then we do something with that. And now so with I the iOS, if you have the proper printer like the HP ePrint printers, well, now you can even pop out that stuff from the printer using your iPhone, your iPod Touch, your iPad. Right. So I talk about, you know, how can you modify that habit a bit so that instead of a piece of paper coming out of your printer, maybe a PDF goes onto your iPad or to whatever other device or whatever other location. And uh, whenever it's feasible, you use a PDF as the output instead of a piece of paper. Um, So... Uh, whether it's you know creating invoices to send to people or uh, paying uh, bills or writing checks or any number of things, uh, I, I talk about ways that you can avoid generating paper as well as receiving paper. Well, certainly receiving paper would be a big deal. I am going to try, by the way, I'm going to make a New Year's resolution. I'm going to try to basically free myself of paper faxing. You know, it's cool. so old-fashioned. The quality just sucks. going to try and do that. I'm going to have to look at ways to basically digitize the entire process, not just receiving the facts, but, of course, sending the facts. See what I can do. It may work. It may not work. But we're going to see what happens. Now, just to tell our listeners, if you want to learn more about the book, it's TakeControlBooks.com. Check out all the titles. Joe Kissel is author of so many books 
I can't begin to name them. Of course, we always have them on the show to talk about backups because you can't back up too often. And he also has stuff on Snow Leopard. And you do the Thanksgiving dinner thing every year, right? Absolutely. You're a cook. And how's your Thanksgiving dinner thing going? You find a lot of people who would buy Take Control books on technology are interested in Thanksgiving dinners? Uh, Not so many. Yeah, that's a different audience for the most part. But it works. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what. If we're ever in France around Thanksgiving, we're going to ask Joe Kissel to cook the Steinberg family. And there's three people. We have a son who lives in Madrid. He can fly over. Cook us a Thanksgiving dinner so we can see how it's really done. All right. Of course, we'll have to pay for all the raw ingredients. We'll volunteer to do that. But Joe is not going to pay for our plane fare, I have to tell you. The book is called Take Control of Your Paperless Office. And as I promise, I'm going to try to wean myself away from faxing. Joe Kissel, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. My pleasure. Hi, Ted Anderson announcing a great way to listen to radio on the telephone. By calling 760-569-7700, you'll be hearing GCNlive.com programs in seconds. Come to GCNlive.com, find your favorite host's dedicated phone number, and hear them 24-7. You heard me right, every show has a dedicated phone number. Stop by GCNlive.com and bookmark their number today. And again, that's 760-569-7700. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carding to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We have Jason Snell from Macworld Magazine, where he is a big muckety-muck, and it says on his business card, muckety-muck. And also, it, re- it really doesn't. I, I, I'm going to have to get one made just for you, just to give to you that says that, but it doesn't. My, my business card is very boring. Your boring business card says he's editorial director and holds other positions in that organization, which is more. Not than really that one. That's the big one. I, I don't want any more positions. That would be that would be too much work. Well, you know, sometimes more and more titles. It, you know, it's it's a <laughs> way of rising to the level of your competence or otherwise. Mm, excellent point. Unfortunately, sometimes in a certain nation's capital, it's the other. <laughs> All but, right. But that ends the politics part of the show. Let's go to the App Store. Okay, so I'm going to ask you the brief question, and then I'll give you my experiences very briefly and lots of questions. What do you think? Is it what you expected, not quite what you expected, or none of the above? Well, the, so the Mac App Store is pretty much exactly what I expected, because what I expected is Apple to do something that, that behaves a lot like iTunes and a lot like the iOS App Store, and that's what we got. We got something that's... Uh, Pretty familiar to anybody who has used iTunes or the uh, the App Store for for the iOS. That's pretty much what we got. Okay, so that of course entails the good, the bad. What's good about that? Well, uh, what's good about it is that it's going to make it very easy for Mac users 
who have I, with the exception of the sort of power user type people, um, don't buy a lot of software on the Mac because you've got to go find it, and uh, if, you know you got to look it up on websites or you know there are lots of these ways to discover it, but they're not as easy as what we found on the iOS where they've got the App Store app right there and you can download apps and people have gotten quite comfortable doing that. So. Apple's applying that lesson to the Mac and bringing it back there, and I think the end result is going to be a lot of uh, software sold on the Mac that was not sold before. Heretofore, Apple had a made-for-Mac section on their website where you could look up products, you can do a search. But the problem is if he went into even the App Store, they'd have a handful of titles, usually Adobe, Microsoft, Apple, and a few odds and ends. That was it. If you look in your catalogs, you know, in the old days, you go to one of these catalogs before there was the Internet, and you'd find thousands of apps. Now you find just the major titles. Everything is hardware. They don't sell apps. So then you have to go to a developer site, or you go to a site like it used to be called Version Tracker. Now it's CNET Downloads or a Mac Update, and check the latest products. But usually they are stored by date and it doesn't help you in terms of categorization, although they do have that. It's just not easy. Basically, if you're looking for a Mac app, you have two strikes against you. Right. That, that's largely been the case with the exception of that sort of traditional um, shrink-wrapped software market, which was sort of around but is fading away. Um, and so this, you know, the Mac App Store is going to put every new Mac sold – in the dock, right next to the Finder icon, the second icon in the dock is going to be this Mac App Store icon. So right out of the box, Mac users, uh, you know, new and old, are going to be able to see that and go, oh, I know what that is. And they've got an iTunes ID and they've got their credit card connected already because they're buying music or videos or apps. And um, and then they're going to buy Mac software, and it's going to be a very familiar experience because Apple has really trained them, and so it it will be revolutionary in that way. You know, some some developers will benefit from it more than others, but I do think it's going to drive um, just a huge amount of third party app sales on the Mac that haven't been there before because you've got to be savvy enough to go to Version Tracker or Mac Update or to go to Apple's. Uh, Apple's software section of their website, which is now shut off because it's been replaced by this. Or you go to Macworld and, and look at our Mac Gems column or something like that. You've got to be savvy enough to do that. Now it's in the dock. So really, um, it doesn't require any savvy at all. You, you know, you, you, if you have a pulse, <laughs> you can go, oh, I can buy apps there. One exception here, okay? Now, the way it comes for those of you using Snow Leopard, you haven't bought a new Mac, and this hasn't been brought it to the new Macs yet. It's a software update, 10.6.6. Right. And as Jason Snell says, in theory, it installs this App Store app icon in your dock next to the Finder, to the right of the Finder. In theory, I tried it on two Macs. In one case, on my MacBook Pro, that's where it was after restart. And in another case, on my iMac, my 27-inch iMac, the late 2009 edition, now, unfortunately, obsolete after one year, not really. Anyway, on that one, it wasn't there. I had to go into the Applications folder and find it and drag it to the dock. I'm assuming maybe 
I'm just an anomaly here, but maybe there are some portions. First, I've heard of it. It's that's a bug, but um, it's the first I've heard of it, so I doubt that it's a common bug. And of course, it doesn't actually have to be in the dock, but that's what they try to do. And you know, you may have installed something that made some alteration to the dock preferences that got it confused or something. I I, I have no idea. But the stock configuration for anybody installing Snow Leopard or buying a new Mac in the future, it's going to be there, right next to the Finder, which is pretty um, pretty compelling. Okay, now the applications are available a la carte. If they come in a suite, Apple unbundles them, or at least does that with their own apps, which include iLife 11 and iWork 09. Now, the question I would have, of course, is if someone is selling a suite of applications, there's no way to do that the way the current structure is set up? Well, that's, I think that's thinking of it backward. Um, the reason the suites exist is because if you didn't have a suite you would have six individual SKUs, as they say. You know, you'd have to have six boxes for or, or more, right? You'd have because you've got the the six apps that are on the App Store, and then there are a few other apps in the in the box. So, you know, you've got to have an iPhoto box and a GarageBand box and a uh, you know an iMovie box and a Pages box and a Keynote box and a Numbers box and everywhere a box box. It's well, it's a mess, right? And then you got to stock all of them, and you got to make shelf space in the Apple Store, and you got to have them all available on Amazon. And it's it, you know, they're not just bundled together because Apple feels like they need to, they they must go together because they're seamlessly attached to one another. They go together because they're kind of thematically attached, and it's easier to sell one, you know, three for one price in one box. So what Apple has done, and they led this direction with the iPad where they released iWork apps for the iPad and they were not in a suite. They were three separate apps for $10 each. Um, and now they've done that with both their, both of their suites on the Mac app store. So the iLife apps, um, not including iWeb and iDVD, which basically haven't been updated. So most Macs that can run the Mac app store already have them in their basically final form. So it's not that big a deal that they're not available. But Now, um, the theory, though, is, yes, makes sense. And, of course, with iTunes, you can buy an album or the individual tracks, but the album is basically just a batch download where you get, you know, 12 tracks instead of one whatever makes up an album. There's no installer involved. It's just separate files, actually. But when you have these suites like Microsoft Office or Adobe Creative Suite, there are little utilities and things that are shared across the multiple apps. It's not that they're all separate, so that would have to change. Yeah, I, Apple's, uh, at least for now, the Mac App Store does not have that concept. And in fact, there are some very strict rules about what an app can do and what it can't do. And it can't install a bunch of junk in a, in a, in a bunch of uh, strange places all over your system. That's actually not allowed, and a lot of the suites do that. Um, you know, Apple's approach is really people should be buying apps one at a time, a la carte, and they shouldn't have to have another app present in order to use the app that they've got. So it'll be up to, you know, if Microsoft or Adobe wants to do what Apple did, which is take their, their suites and and explode them so that you can buy iPhoto for $15. You can buy Keynote for $20, which I think is huge because I think a lot of people buy iWork actually just for Keynote. So I think that's going to be a big, a big win for a lot of people. If Microsoft and Adobe want to do that, they'll be able to, but they're going to have to put some work into it or they're going to have to work with Apple to, to change the rules a little bit. It would certainly be interesting if we lived in a world where you could buy Word or Excel a la carte from the Mac App Store for, you know, 50 bucks each instead of having to buy the Office suite. But who knows whether Microsoft would ever go for that or whether Adobe would go for unbundling Photoshop 
and putting it in there or or even taking something like Photoshop Elements, which is relatively standalone and putting it in there. But Apple did it with um, Aperture. Aperture is in there as well for less. What is it? I think it's more than half what they were charging in the box. So uh, really interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I'll tell you what's happening. We have Jason Snell. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. This is Tamar from Namecheap. We're a domain name and web hosting company, and we really care about our customers. With domain name purchases, Namecheap offers free SSL and free WhoisGuard for a year to protect your identity from spammers. Most importantly, we care about you. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at radio.namecheap.com, radio.namecheap.com for web hosting and domain name specials. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Namecheap or become a fan of ours on Facebook at facebook.com slash Namecheap. See you online. Hey, neighbors, Nuance offers Dragon speech recognition for a variety of platforms. Dragon Dictate for Mac, Dragon Naturally Speaking 11 for Windows, and Dragon Mobile Apps for BlackBerry, iPhone, and iPad. No matter how you compute, Dragon instantly converts what you say into text, helping you be more productive just by talking. Find out more at GetDragon.com. That's GetDragon.com. GetDragon.com. If the cost of your prescriptions are getting out of control, you want to listen carefully to this. RxDrugCard.com is a simple, innovative program designed to give individuals the same purchasing power as large HMOs and insurance companies. As a member of RxDrugCard.com, you'll enjoy savings of up to 80% on all prescription medications at over 52,000 USA pharmacies, including Walmart, Walgreens, and Eckert's. Don't risk ruining your health by using cheap, counterfeit foreign drugs. This program provides savings on safe, genuine, FDA-approved medications. Medications with low membership fees, unlimited use, no age or income requirements, and coverage for all pre-existing conditions. RxDrugCard.com is an absolute must for anyone who pays for their own prescriptions. Enroll today for as little as $4.50 per month at www.rxdrugcard.com and start saving immediately. RxDrugCard.com is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit RxDrugCard.com or call 888-216-2461. That's 888-216-2461. I'm Roger Rao at Midas Resources. If you are going through a financial roller coaster because of your investment in stocks, bonds, and other paper assets, perhaps you're ready for a change. You have an opportunity to change your financial security. Get the stability and peace of mind you deserve by investing in precious metals. Gold and silver have been a form of wealth protection for over 5,000 years all over the world. If you have seen your hard-earned money lose value because of inflation, sliding dollar, etc., it's time you stop the bleeding. The answer to your problems is simple. Gold and silver will protect your assets and your purchasing power, physical possession of precious metals, IRA rollover, etc. Call me, Roger Rao, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 178. Take action today when we are still accepting paper dollars for gold and silver. Ready for a change? Call Roger Rao at 1-800-686-2237, extension 178. Again, it's 1-800-686-2237, extension 178. Hi, this is Alex Jones. Did you know that the global elite are now storing non-hybrid seeds in secret storage vaults near the Arctic Circle? Did you know that in a real meltdown, non-hybrid seeds can become more valuable than silver or gold? It's true, seeds have outperformed even gold and silver before in this country, and it's possible that it could even happen again. So our friends at Solutions from Science have put together the perfect mix of non-hybrid seeds. They call it a survival seed bank. 
and it can produce an endless supply of nutrient-dense food for you and your family. And here's the best part. These seeds have not been genetically modified in any way, and you actually get enough seeds to plant a full-acre crisis garden. So visit them today at survivalseedbank.com. That's survivalseedbank.com. Or give them a call at 877-327-0365. That's 877-327-0365. Remember, in a real crisis, non-hybrid seeds are the ultimate barter item. This is Alex Jones for survivalseedbank.com. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, just send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or... Check us out at iTunes. We continue with Jason Snell. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. I'm Gene Steinberg exploring the Mac App Store or strictly App Store. And it's only Mac software. Now, the other question we have, and we were talking about application suites and about unbundling. Now, obviously, Apple's done this with consumer apps. They have not done this with their professional apps. There is no yet a Logic Studio. All those humongous number of apps unbundled or with Final Cut Studio, it's a question whether they will even bother because these things cater to a more specialized audience. Well, and they're huge, too. Uh, it's not really a download. And, and they require often some very technical installation of some really deep-seated stuff that the Mac App Store is not about. The Mac App Store is for you know general consumers buying single-use apps that are self-contained in a way that the pro stuff, especially for video, just isn't. So we see here that Apple is addressing the consumer needs, but the business needs maybe not as much depending on what kind of business you are and what kind of products you have, but then it's still a work in progress. It's version one of many changes. Now, there are other exceptions too. So for example, if an application does squirrely things or not so squirrely things with the system, say capturing audio like Wiretap Studio from Ambrosia Software and our friend Andrew Welch. He installs a kernel extension as part of that product to allow it to grab the audio at the system level. That's verboten, right? Right. Apple wants to make sure that the apps in the store are um, stable and aren't. Basically, it doesn't want any situation where you have to put in your username and password and authenticate as an administration level user and install things in crazy places because that makes uninstalling complicated. And Apple, at least for now, doesn't want to go there. So stuff like uh, the Ambrosia stuff is not allowed in the Mac App Store. You could make the argument, and I think it's actually a pretty good argument, that anybody who's savvy enough to want something like Wiretap is probably savvy enough to find Wiretap and buy it without needing the Mac App Store. So um, I'm not quite sure it's as big a deal as, as you might think. And that, that comes back to what makes the Mac App Store different from the iOS App Store. And that's that the iOS App Store is a monopoly. The only way to get your apps on an iPhone or an iPod Touch or an iPad are by getting it approved by Apple and put in the store. And that's just not true on the Mac. On the Mac, you can be in the Mac App Store or you can not. Or you can be in both. And it doesn't matter. So, um, you know, Ambrosia is going to keep on selling copies of Wiretap. Rogue Amoeba will keep on selling copies of Audio Hijack, and uh, that'll be fine. They'll just not be able to do that in the Mac App Store. But, you know, I think their audience, you know, their primary audience is is savvy enough that they're 
you know, they're not going to need them in the Mac App Store. I mean, it would be nice, but I also see Apple's side there that they want to. It gets the more complex the app gets, the the harder the support because then you've got to run an uninstaller and I mean a kernel extension. I mean, that's that's going pretty far afield, and I think Apple just doesn't want to get into that kind of business of how do you install it, how do you uninstall it. They want to keep it as simple as it's an app, it's in the applications folder. If you don't like it, you throw it in the trash. And you can't really do that with some of this other stuff. We see how application developers are working around this. Intego has a virus barrier express. It's a manual scanning antivirus utility for your Mac. Right. Now, if you buy the full version from Indigo's site or a third-party repository, you get something that does background scanning. It's adding background apps, adding maybe a kernel extension or something like that. It's adding stuff that Apple doesn't allow. So what Indigo has done is they've basically stripped it down to very basic capabilities. Right now they're giving it away. We'll see where it goes. But to get the rest of it, you're going to have to go to their site or to a dealer. Right. It's very clever, actually, because they're so they're giving away some functionality in a free app and it's an ad for their their paid app. Essentially, I mean, it's not useless. It is a useful product or Apple wouldn't improve it. But there is that interesting twist. Now, you can't like enable it within the app or anything like that because Apple doesn't allow that. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting approach and it's interesting that Apple is allowing it. And, uh, you know, the challenge is is for them is to get people to upgrade without kind of doing a hard sell, which would probably get them kicked out of the Mac App Store. But um, we're going to see a lot of really interesting stuff in terms of marketing um, Mac software and in terms of price competition, too. I mean, there are some developers who are selling their apps in the Mac App Store for more than they're selling them on their website. And the idea there is, yes, for more. And the idea there is if you're a more advanced user, a savvy shopper, you will shop around and find the best price. If you're somebody who just looks in the Mac App Store and that's all, um, you might not. And and it also is a hedge against the the percentage that Apple is taking. Presumably, um, the deal you get is so uh, sorry if I misstated this. It's like it, it's it's cheaper on their site. It's more in the store. So if you if you're smart and uh, you do some comparison shopping, you may find it on their site for less, and you pay less, and they make more because Apple's not taking their thirty percent cut. So we may see some of that, which we don't see in the iOS market because there's only one source for this stuff. It's a little like uh, if you buy MP3s, you can look on iTunes, you can look on Amazon MP3 and see where the best deal is. We're going to see that in the Mac App Store, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and if Apple has a response to that. Because you know, Apple could say you can never sell this for any less than you do in our store. It must our store must be the lowest price available. That would and be almost did, price fixing, wouldn't it? That, well, you know, Amazon has those terms for booksellers for ebooks. They say we'll do a 30-70 revenue share with you uh, where you know you keep 70% and much more favorable terms than their original terms, but they want to guarantee that you won't undersell them somewhere else. So, and that I am not a lawyer, but I, I, you know, nobody has to take that deal and there are other options. In fact, there are other deals, but so it'll be interesting. I, I don't know, but there's going to be stuff that we haven't seen with the iOS app store because it's not a monopoly that because there are other options, there are going to be some interesting dynamics there about demos and betas and trials and, and other stuff like that, that we haven't seen before. The other thing of course, is what about the apps that you have installed? Now, that appears to be a mixed bag, and I'll tell you what I mean. So, for example, I have Transmit, an FTP application from a company called Panic Software, and I like it. I'll just say, you know what? They don't advertise. I like the product. And sure enough, it says it's installed. It's not a free app. It's one I paid for, but the App Store figured it out. Now, in other cases, 
It doesn't. It may well, be a work in progress. I, I can too- tell you how that works. The, the, the way sure. it works is that um, every app has a bundle ID, which is basically a, a string that you don't see that identifies what, what the app is. And then they've also got a version number. What the App Store does is look and see if any app with the bundle ID that's in its database and the version number that's in its database is present on your Mac. And if those things are true, it says, oh. It's installed. This is probably going to have to change one way or another because the problem with it is that if you bought Transmit from Panic and not in the Mac App Store, it says it's installed. That's a that's a feature in the sense it's not going to let you buy a program you already had, yay, although it's inconsistent because not every App Store version of an app has the same bundle name as the non-App Store version. Some do, some don't. The problem is what happens when it's time to update? It won't do an auto-update from Mac App Store. It's not going to download the Mac App Store version and replace your version later. There's no transition, never the twain meets. No, no, and there's actually no way for third-party developers to sell you or give you a transfer into the Mac App Store either. There's no facility for that. So some of this stuff is going to have to get worked out, but there is some confusion there where it says that it's installed, and you might assume that because of that it's going to be updated using the update mechanism, which is cool in the Mac App Store, which, again, works like the iOS where if there's a, a developer pushes out a new version, when you run the Mac App Store, it'll have a list of updates and say, would you like me to update these things? That's pretty cool. We have Jason Snell from Mac World Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from some many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You can download a version that is mostly full-featured. Try it out, and if you like it, it's just $34.95 for Graphic Converter from LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-S-O-F-T.com. LemkeSoft.com for my favorite Graphic Converter. All types of batteries for all types of gadgets. We'll say it again. All types of batteries for all types of gadgets. Electronics, toys, flashlights, computers, accessories, and more are at BatteryStation.com. Whatever type battery you need, alkaline, lithium, gel cell, NICAT, metal hydride, sealed lead acid, and more are at BatteryStation.com. Our homepage gives you quick access to ham, marine, police, fire, and aviation batteries. Plus, choose from our great selection of LED flashlights with no bulb to ever burn out and much longer battery life. Find many top brands, including Streamlight, Pelican, Surefire, Novatac, Gerber, and more at BatteryStation.com. You'll also find the most popular brands of ammunition and watertight cases for storing guns, food, electronics, survival gear, and more at BatteryStation.com. Call 417-257-7799. That's 417-257-7799. You will be surprised when you visit BatteryStation.com. If you owe the IRS money you can't pay, then listen carefully, because you already know that the problem won't go away by itself. You can get help today from the leading tax expert in the country, Dan Pilla. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. The IRS isn't going to just forget about you. 
Right now, the IRS is hiring thousands of tax collectors to go after delinquent accounts just like yours. That's why you need to take action today, and I can help. I take a simple but proven approach to solving your tax debt problem. First, I stabilize collections so you don't have to worry about wage and bank levies. Next, I build a detailed plan to get your debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even eliminated. Finally, I work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. So call now for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. Dan Pilla will solve your tax problem guaranteed. He's helped thousands of people, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. Fight back this cold and flu season with the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. Why Ali C? Because it helps your body fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Ali C has been scientifically proven in double-blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin, the active ingredient in crushed garlic. Studies show Ali C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Ali C has the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic. Ali C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 1-877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com for your Ali C today. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. You're listening to the Tech Night All Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what to expect. It's the App Store, the Mac App Store, debuting on Thursday morning, January 6th. Our guest is Jason Snell, Editorial Director for Macworld, I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live, and we're talking about the way things are handled. So in theory, then, at least the way it stands now, unless it changes, even though the App Store knows I have certain software because of the bundle ID, it will not be able to give me the upgrade. Now, some apps have their own fascinating upgrade mechanism called Sparkle, which is like yes. an open source update utility. So you launch the app. It says an update is available. And you see a list, a window, which tells you what was changed. And then right. you can install an update. And then what it will do then is it will download the file. And then you have the option then to quit the app, have it replaced with a new version, and relaunch automatically. That's how they handle it. That's how more and more apps handle it. But, of course, with the App Store, we don't know how they're going to integrate this. That's out. Uh, Absolutely. It, it, okay. any, any app that uh, is submitted for the Mac App Store can't have Sparkle in it, and it can't have a serial number code. Yes, in it. I understand That's, that. But I'm saying yeah. to you is it means that it doesn't matter how the upgrade mechanism works for third parties. It means even if it's not there, Apple will know you have it installed because of the bundle ID, but they can't handle the upgrade process, no, at least I, now. I actually don't think that's what it's going to be. I think it's going to be – we don't know for sure, but my guess is the way it works is that it, it knows what apps are on your system by looking for the bundle IDs. But it also has a record of all of your purchases in the Mac App Store, and what it will do is it, it will compare those two things and basically say, all right, is there anything out there that I have that I bought 
that has an update, and then it'll provide you with those. So I don't think we're going to see the Mac App Store trying to update your copy of iMovie that you bought in a box uh, because there's a new version of iMovie that came out in the Mac App Store or Transmit or anything like that or BB Edit. I don't think that's going to happen, um, but there'll be some confusion, and, and perhaps um, Apple will have to make some modifications so that it, it recognizes that the version of BB Edit that you have is not an App Store ber- version. It's from somewhere else. I don't know that part. You know, remember, we're dealing with an early version. There are a lot of complexities involved. Ultimately, it will integrate. Ultimately, no. it will work. I don't no. see why it can't. No. No, because App Store versions of some apps are not the same. If they're not the same, but if they are... Or no, there, there's no way to tr- there's no way to do that right now. And, and in fact, I think a lot of developers would be terrified to allow you to do that because they've got an existing customer who's their customer who pays. And they don't want to lose the customer to Apple. And they don't no, want to lose them to Apple. Exactly right. Why would they? Why would they do that? I mean, there's some. If you've got a free app, you might want to take that path. But if you're somebody who you know every couple of years gets thirty or fifty or seventy dollars from your users, why would you slide that in? And you've got auto updating in your app anyway, right? They're going to get their auto update through Spark. You're going to get that little box that says there's a new version. You know, they they don't want – there's no reason for them to want to be in the store for that customer. They want to keep them off on the side and use the Mac App Store for new customers who are finding them for the first time. So The other issue, of course, is the fact that if there is an upgrade for the product, right now Apple says in their terms the upgrade is free. Yes, just like with the iOS, um, there's no concept yet from Apple of buying software – Again, <laughs> as far as Apple's concerned with apps on the iPhone and the, and the rest of the iOS and with the Mac App Store, there's no concept of paying an upgrade fee to go from version 1 to version 2. And so, again, that is a, uh, a bit scary for developers, and we're going to have to see what happens. And, it, you know, it won't. The problem is that, you know, it, it doesn't mean, yay, consumers get free upgrades. The problem is that it means um, a lot of developers will then release their new version as a new app in the store, and then they won't be able to give the existing customers a discount on an upgrade. They'll have to pay full price. So it's actually anti uh, consumer because it eliminates the ability for um, for developers to charge an upgrade fee for loyal customers, which they should be able to do. Uh, Apple's gotta rectify this at some point, but um, you know it's been years now, you know two or three years now that they've been doing this in the iOS side, and they still haven't done it. And so you know if you bought, you know there are companies that sold an app on day one at the App Store two and a half years ago who have have. That app is used every day by somebody on all their iOS devices, and they've never got any more money than they did on day one because upgrades are free. At some point, that's got to give, or you're gonna, or you're gonna see apps just break and be replaced by new apps, and everybody has to pay again, which is too bad. Well, the other option, of course, would be that maybe you have a lower price for everyone, like Apple does now. You know, Apple comes up with a new version of iLife or iWork. There's no such thing as an upgrade, you buy the new package. So maybe you buy the new package, but they're offering it at a lower price than it may have been before. But it would have to know to delete the older version somehow well, or confuse you. Maybe, but I, but I think that's unfair to talk about iLife that way because iLife comes on every Mac. Every Mac that's out there has iLife, so they're all an upgrade. 
I work, it's a separate product. Right. And so they, they want you to pay whatever it was, $79. And now for the of rest course, of your life for every version. For every, for every new version. So yeah, developers can do that. I think a lot of developers would tell you that, that that's uh, really tough for them because that's not how they want to market their product. But who knows? Maybe that will change how they, how they handle everything. I mean, the problem is they can't use the update mechanism as it currently exists. They would actually need to delete those apps and put in new apps in order to have it work So because they can't pay get anybody to pay for an upgrade. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how Apple deals with it because it's been something that the, the company has very specifically not dealt with up to now. The political phrase is repeal and replace your app. All right. Yes. Well, I mean, I think some people are going to do that. I, I think that you'll see. I don't know about buying an app again. I think that's kind of crazy. But for free apps or, you know, stuff like that, that you might like switch over to the Mac App Store version. We'll see. We'll see how, pe- how people handle it. Um, you know, it, it, it's a you know, it's day one. You know, essentially, we're, we're in the first week of the life of this this thing. And uh, we don't know what all the ramifications are. And it is going to be a little different from the life cycle of the iOS app store. So um, I, I think we're going to be surprised by some of the ramifications of it. And uh, and uh, we can't predict them now because uh, it's too complex a thing. But they're going to be big winners, I think. And there will be some surprising losers, too. I think losers will be anybody who tries to sell software separately. As much as you might want to see, as much as developers want to see that they can retain their customer base – they're going to get requests, hey, why can't I upgrade to this from the App Store? Why can't I get this from the App Store? Well, more and more that, attention is going to be focused on that App Store. Until and, Apple provides sure. a way for them to transfer those people over, though, the answer is pretty simple. You can't. You just can't. So that's on Apple. You know, if, they, if Apple makes that a, a possibility, then it's going to be a real uh, conundrum for the, for the developer. What do I do? Do I just kind of go all in with Apple or not? But right now, it, we're, until that happens, we're in this weird uh, bifurcation. Uh, market. Um, I'm not sure that's going to be that big a deal, though, because like I said, I think a lot of people who um, are are more understanding of the fact that you can buy on the outside, for them, they'll be happy to buy on the outside. It's the people who don't know anything other than the App Store, and they're not going to be confused because they'll just be in the App Store. And then they won't see some of these products because for yeah. one reason or another, they can't or won't be available in the App Store. The other thing, of course, is Apple is giving these things a secure signature, or a certificate every app that you buy, right? Yeah, well, it's so it's not what it's what they're not doing. So the anti-piracy story here is kind of funny. Um, what Apple is not doing is wrapping um, an app in in this sort of signed package like they are with the iOS, where you can't you kind of can't change the app without it breaking the signature. At, at which point, you know that it's not valid. All there is is a receipt that says yes, you bought this, and um, it's tied to your iTunes ID. And it's it's even stranger than that because developers have to implement in their apps a check that says, do I have the receipt? If I don't, ask for it. And if they don't give it to me, then don't run. So um, some some apps that are in the Mac App Store, if you just take them and copy them to any other Mac, they'll just run it, just no protection at all. Others, when you try to do that, they'll say, hey, buddy. Uh, I've got your iTunes ID right here, so why don't you put in the password and verify that you are who you say you are, which is very much like taking a a, a video you bought from iTunes and moving it to a different Mac. It's going to say, all right, I'll play this if you'll register as one of your iTunes account 
computers. So it's very similar to that. But it's up to the developer to do that. Um, and that presumably- raises the question, by the way, Jason, that raises the question about multi-user licenses and how many Macs can actually support right. a specific app. And as that's far as a little we bit complicated, too, because there's a contradiction in Apple's terms I'm going to ask you about in a moment. We have Jason Snell, editorial director of Macworld magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. This is the Tech Night Owl Live. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. New Year, new way to smoke, and it's totally wicked. Introducing Totally Wicked E-Liquid Electronic Cigarettes, the highest quality e-cigarettes in the world. With Totally Wicked E-Liquid Cigarettes, there's no flame, no secondhand smoke, no carbon monoxide, no tar, no unsightly brown teeth or fingers, and no lingering smell. Totally Wicked E-Liquid Cigarettes have a battery charge that lasts up to eight hours. Plus, with a Totally Wicked Tornado model, the average pack-a-day smoker is likely to save over $1,000 a year. The Totally Wicked Tornado provides a storm of vapor. See it at totallywicked-eliquid.com. That's totallywicked-eliquid.com or call 888-761-9425. Get a 15% discount with promo code GCNLIVE. Go to totallywicked-eliquid.com or call 888-761-9425. That's 888-761-9425 or online at totallywicked-eliquid.com. Totally Wicked E-Liquid Cigarettes, the next generation of alternative smoking. Is it really possible to get out of debt without payment plans or attorneys? 18 years ago, we developed a program that has made thousands debt-free in just 90 days. It's called Zero Debt in 90 Days, and it works for all credit card debt, medical bills, even collection lawsuits. When I first joined, I was being sued. So I used the program methods, and after filing one piece of paper, the collection lawsuit was dismissed. With Zero Debt in 90 Days, your success is guaranteed in writing. There is no other program of its kind. Don't be alone when creditors gang up on you. Let our team of experts provide the resources to fight back and stop creditors in only 90 days. Guaranteed. Prevent wage garnishments, bank levies, and stop collection calls with our proven program. Call Zero Debt in 90 Days now, 800-477-9256, and ask for free information from an expert who also completed our program 800-477-9256 or zerodebtguarantee.com 800-477-9256 or zerodebtguarantee.com 
question. What would you rather drink? Acidic water, which burns holes in your body and causes loss of bone mass, or alkaline water, which promotes high energy and vibrant health? The answer is clear. And if you're drinking acidic water, you're helping cancer cells and bacteria to grow out of control. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals. Using Plasma pH Drops is the best way to alkalize your water and help you get rid of acid and regain your health and energy. Simply put 10 drops in the water you drink to raise the pH to a healthy alkaline level. Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. Disease organisms like bacteria, viruses, or cancer cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops now by going directly to AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or by calling 269-409-1776. Again, 269-409-1776. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. G-C-N. Great talk radio starts here. You are listening to the Tech Night Out Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what to expect. We return with Jason Stell of Macworld Magazine. He's editorial director. I'm Gene Steinberg. This is the Tech Night Out Live. What I'm talking about here is the iTunes licensing. Now, the iTunes licensing says specifically five Macs, five computers, actually, that you can buy products on and install them and as long as you acknowledge the password or whatever, your Apple salute, then you could run them up to five computers, as I understand it. But the terms, and I checked it just now, for the App Store say on any other Mac that you own. Yeah, it's unclear whether they're going to block you or not. But basically, I think the way that we've been approaching it is it's essentially unlimited. I mean, yeah, if you've got 10 computers at home, it's unclear whether you'll be able to log in on all of them and verify or whether that'll count against your five like iTunes logins. I, I'm not sure those are connected or not, but it's what's definitely not true is the idea that this is a one-to-one. So if you've got three Macs at home or four Macs at home and you buy a Mac App Store app, you get to run them on all of them. The developer doesn't get to say, no, don't do that. That's bad. That's part of the deal. That's part of the license with Apple. That's and in that the way, end it's, it's of multiple good. user licensing, but what does that do to the business where he has 100 Macs? Well, th- this, is what I, this is why it's not the end of multiple user licensing. The Mac App Store isn't for a business businesses with 100 seats. It's not for colleges. It's it's not. For those, you're going to need to do volume license deals that you would do otherwise. And that, unless Apple decides that they've come up with a way to, to deal with that. But the, the App Store concept is not made for that. So if you're, if you're a business that has 100 seats and you want to buy a license to a Mac app, uh, what you probably want to do is contact the developer and say, I want to buy 100 seats, and they'll cut you a deal that I'll also say, you know, it'll be, it won't be the cost of one copy, but it'll be a lot cheaper than 100 times that amount. But it's not made for that. It's not made for mass amounts. It's really made for kind of personal, in-home, family kind of use, and, and it will work on that level. So the, the family pack idea is probably going to fade away, but the site license for a big site is not, at least not for a while. Of course, small businesses, it'll work too. I mean, if you have five or ten Macs, you could still get away with it, even if Apple kind of feels that's pushing the edge of it. Maybe, although the thing about iTunes IDs is that they're your they're tied to your credit card and you can buy stuff if you know the password. So the problem with doing it in a small business that I see, I mean, you could. You um, can set yourself up with a PayPal account. My PayPal account that I use for my iTunes purchases is actually technically a business account. 
Right. My, my point, though, is that if you've got a small business and you've got five employees, every time that they need to download something, you need to go and put in your password or you give them all your password for the iTunes ID you're using. And that means that they could theoretically, you know, go on their iPhone or go on iTunes and just buy stuff. Because well, in theory, you control that by when they're ready to get those apps. You do it on your own time, and then they're free to use it, but you have to do the entering of the password. Right, in which case, right, you have to be the password monkey at that point. So there's some reasons that make that problematic, which is not to say that some people won't do it. It's a pain enough that I don't think it's going to be, you know, it's certainly not going to be something Apple says, oh, yes, this is a small business solution. I don't think they're going to say that. I think it's much more of a kind of home personal people you'd be comfortable sharing your iTunes ID with knowing that they could go online and buy, you know, an HD season of a TV show for 30 bucks a pop and walk away with it. Of course, we'll have to see where this goes and how well it's expanded. Do you think that Mac OS 10 Lion will do more of the App Store kind of integration? I don't know. I, I think I think what we or see have is we seen what we're going to see except for general purpose updates to the service. I think the only thing that will be different uh, or, or notice, notably different is that um, they have the concept of something called the launch pad. I think it is in Lion, which is one of one of its features is a list of all the applications installed in your system. I think that that the App Store will probably integrate with that a little bit better. Right now, it throws everything in your dock. Because there's really, they, they want to make it really easy for, for users who are not that familiar with all the nuances of the Mac. You buy the app, you don't need to know where it went because it went in your dock and now it's right there. You have 50 apps. That's not difficult. You know, it's a lot of cheap crowded. apps. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to get crowded. So, so one of the nice things about the launch pad in Lion is that every app you get will go in the launch pad. And, and if that happens, I think that that's going to allow um, the, the app store to, to stop throwing everything in your dock because there'll probably be like a purchased apps pane in the launch pad list of apps. And, and, and that's one of the features of Lion really is this app management thing that um, you don't have to hunt through the finder to find a list of your apps. Well, aren't there people who will that. say, I don't want to have to go through nine pages of junk to find the app I want. I don't want this application in the launch pad because I use it once a month. Well, you know, I think you're going to have to fight that one out with Steve Jobs because I think I think that the uh, that's the concept. Although you may be able to customize it and have favorites, I, I don't know. It was a very brief demo of Lion, and who knows? It's it's how far they've come since they did that last year. But um, you know, because you do have the ability to customize um, your app screens on the iOS, so it wouldn't surprise me if you've got a favorite apps list at the top, and then the rest of the apps you can reorder them or or whatever. Um, but it will hopefully mean that this. Um, because currently the App Store just throws everything in your dock and you can't tell it not to. <laughs> it just it will put it there and then you can get it out if you want. Um, I would I would imagine under Lion it might be a little friendlier about all of that because it's going to have this system wide resource of of you know show me all my apps that it doesn't have right now. The other question I'd have here then is okay you toss it out of the dock an app now the update comes you run the update does it stick it back in the dock or what? Well that's a good question I don't know probably not. But I don't know. We, we haven't seen any updates yet. It'll be very exciting when we get that first App Store update, uh, but we haven't seen any yet. All eyes will be on the update process yes. to see how it works. Quick. Somebody fix a bug. Put that in there. I'm sure it'll happen soon uh, just because people will be curious. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that works. We just don't know because that's in completely in Apple's hands and there's nothing we can do. We sort of have to wait and see. Now, I gather that the capability of porting your iOS app to the App Store, the Mac App Store, 
may not be too hard because you're already seeing crossovers. Now, of course, we understand that iOS apps tend to be in large part limited purpose. They're not sprawling applications that do 100 things. They do five things. So you'll have a lot of these ported apps that come over that also just do five things. Yeah, well, um, it's interesting. I think we're going to see ported apps, and I think we're going to see iOS-inspired apps. And you already see that, that, yes, Angry Birds is there, and the incident, and flight control. And some of those are going to work better than others, I think, on the desktop. But there, there are definitely a lot of developers who are working on finding ways to get their code from the iOS to come back. And then there's just uh, something that Apple said about Lion, you know, this whole idea of bringing the iOS stuff back to the Mac. There are iOS-inspired apps that are smaller or simpler. Um, the new version of Twitter, the Twitter client that used to be called Tweety, um, is not does not look just like its iOS version, but it is very much inspired by that kind of approach. It actually looks a little bit like a dashboard widget that escaped from the dashboard and is now running on your desktop. Um, interesting design wise, but I, you know I think that it, it speaks to the future of the Mac, where they're trying to uh, trying to simplify some of this stuff and make it seem a little more iOS like. And there's going to be a lot of traditional Mac users aren't going to like it, but there's going to be a real serious iOS influence coming back into the Mac. Um, it'll be interesting to see how people accept it. One thing you might see, for example, is developers will look at the feature set of their apps and they'll say, you know what, let's bring out this 299 version. And it does, as I say, five things well, but we don't need those other 99 features. We don't care about those. It develops a class of apps where people buy more limited functionality. Yeah, I, I think we're going to see a lot, a lot of variety. I think we're going to see apps that are free or cheap that don't do very much, and I think we're going to see apps that are expensive that um, you know that are more traditional. Um, who, what wins in the end? I don't know. I think there's room for both, and I think we'll see both. I think that there's a people are going to be emboldened to do these simple apps that cost a couple of bucks and go for a big hit, um, and that's not necessarily bad. But I don't think it's going to crowd out the forty dollar apps either. I think there's always going to be a place, and we've even seen that on the iOS that Omni Group makes a lot of money off of apps that cost a lot of money to buy and they don't have huge volume but they're on the charts at the top grossing because they they do just fine the people who value those apps are willing to pay fifty dollars a throw to get them and so we'll we'll see both on the mac side too but we'll see more of that um cheap app like stuff than we than we've seen in the past be an interesting development and for those who think that there's not enough software available on the Mac, this is going to cause an explosion, I think. They got a thousand apps or so the first day. I've been getting press releases all day about people in the App Store. I think it's going to be 5,000 before you take a breath. It's going to happen fast. I think that uh, some developers were waiting to see what the details were, and then they're going to see how many copies their friends are selling, and then they're going to rush to get in there. And you know, it's definitely it's definitely going to happen. There are going to be a lot of a lot of apps in there. Maybe not iOS level, but um, but there'll be a lot of apps in there, and uh, and that's good because that's good for the perception of the platform. It's, so it's really good for Apple on that on that level. And you know, as a user, if you're if you're a new Mac user, and Apple says half the people who buy a Mac in the Apple retail store are new to the Mac. You know, you're going to open that box and you'll be able to get that software for whatever you want to do to write a novel or to check the weather or to play a game without having to scratch your head and wonder how you do it. You just click on App Store and there and it buy is. The apps. There it is. Yeah. There he is. Jason Snell of Macworld Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Hi. 
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Now, we have one more session to spend with Jason, and every time we bring him on the show, we ask him to do something for us because he's a big TV fan. He writes about television. We have now entered, at least in the U.S., I guess you call it, what, season one and a half? Yeah, the mid-season. The mid-season. So what's happening? Any spectacular things or just some of the old stuff in a slightly new guise? Oh, it's a sad, sad time. I'm I'm way behind on my TV viewing, but it, it's uh, it's a sad time. There's stuff going off. There there's some stuff coming back on. I'm looking forward to. We just had the Doctor Who Christmas special, which was really good, and I'm looking forward to that coming back on BBC America. That looks like they've learned their lesson about how everybody BitTorrents that show because it's on a delay from the UK, and it sounds like they're going to actually air them the day they air in Britain. Now that's the internet talking. That's the internet saying we will download your show if you don't show it the day that it's on. Uh, ABC learned that lesson with Lost and started broadcasting it same day in the UK, and they're going to reverse it with with Doctor Who. There's good stuff out there. Uh, not a lot of the new stuff is impressing me, though. I mean, and we've we've had a bunch of uh, on the sci-fi side. We've had a bunch of of deaths. It looks like they're you know sci- the sci-fi channel is especially it's kind of clearing out the dead, and they whacked Caprica and they whacked Stargate Universe, and a lot of a lot of that stuff is being put out to pasture. A lot of franchises that are kind of fading away right now, but. You know, but I'm I'm behind. I'm still catching up on The Walking Dead. So I'm, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm mired in in mid November and uh, instead of January. Well, it's going to be another <laughs> Battlestar Galactica prequel. Yeah, yeah. this is le- less uh, depressing and slow than than Caprica. Apparently, um, that they were going to do a web series called Blood and Chrome. I think that was set um, during the Cylon Wars and not what Caprica was fifty years before. And the concept was so um, exciting to the executives that they said, don't do it as a web series, shoot it as a pilot. And they so they're shooting, I think, what they call a backdoor pilot, which is basically it's a TV movie. And if they like it, it will be the first episode of a series that they will then order. That That's a way to get a basically get something that you can air as a movie, <laughs> but also as a pilot. It's a way for TV executives to save money. And it looks like they're doing that with Battlestar Galactica. You know, there'll be another attempt to franchise out Battlestar Galactica. The problem is that they, the, the the show itself was so final that they can't do a sequel. They can only do a prequel. Um, but it sounds like this is a much more similar idea to the original show, which Caprica wasn't. This is going to be a space battle kind of show in a way that the uh, politics and musings about humanity on uh, Caprica were not. On commercial TV on the CW network, we have Smallville, 10 years old. 
in the last episode or one of the last episodes, Tom Welling, who's played Superboy or Clark Kent, the younger Clark Kent for 10 years now. He's in his 30s, by the way. He's going to don the Superman outfit. And there's a movement now because they're making another Superman film in 2012 that is going to be produced by Christopher Nolan, who brought back Batman, did such great work. Of and course, written by movement. David Goyer, who wrote Batman Begins and right. some of the X-Men stuff. And it's a great – and the director – who's the director of that? Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder, right, who did Watchmen and 300. So it's a really interesting group of, of creative people behind it. And I, I know there's this movement to sort of draft uh, Welling since he's been Superman so well on TV. Um, who knows? Who knows? But you always try to engage me on Smallville, and I, I, I've, like, never seen an episode of it. Okay, you know, it's just a matter of who's going to be the next <laughs> Superman. Will it be Brandon Routh, who played in Superman Returns? I don't think they're going to go back there, which is too bad, because I actually kind of like Brandon Routh, but he was really kind of cast to be a Christopher Reeve substitute, and I, I would imagine that they're going to go in a, uh, they, they, you know, they're going to truly reboot Superman, like like they did, like Nolan did with um, Batman Begins, which is not, was not the case with Superman Returns, which was essentially a sequel to Superman 2. Exactly, which pretended Superman 3 and Superman 4 didn't exist. Back to TV. Back to TV. Of course, V came back. And, of course, in one of those stunt casting, they bring the original Indian leader. Yeah. 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 She plays the mother of Anna, who is the current. I never warmed to V. Uh, I'm sort of interested about the cape, which is the superhero show that's coming. But V V didn't, you know, they ran those four episodes. And honestly, I couldn't even get through the first four. It it, it was pretty boring. Uh, You know, I've I've been unhappy with the state of affairs of uh, a lot of the sci-fi stuff that's out there these days. It's just kind of kind of dull but uh the cape looks kind of interesting you know i hate to say it in a hero's kind of way because that show was imploded but um you know about a guy a little more realistic of a guy as much as a superhero show can be about a guy who decides to to don a mask and fight crime where it's also apparently the backstory is that he's framed for something he didn't do crime he didn't commit that's a classic of you got to love the accused of a crime he didn't commit. And he meets this guru who teaches him martial arts and all the capabilities to become yeah. kind of a Batman kind of character. Yeah, it's cool. It's a it's a cool idea. So we'll see. There's also a rumor. I, re- I read that there's a rumor that they're going to that they're developing a Wonder Woman TV series, which is kind of interesting. Um, I don't know if that's going to go anywhere or not, but they failed to make it into a movie. So apparently they're talking about doing it as a as a TV series instead. Maybe that can fill that Smallville gap. When that show goes off the air, I don't know. Perfect casting. Maybe they can even introduce that character as part of the Smallville universe. Well, between between Smallville and Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, and maybe Heroes, but I mean, just those other two shows prove that you can do a superhero show on a TV network. It can be done if it's done right. And um, I'm surprised we don't see more, but this year we've seen two attempts at it. One, No Ordinary Family, and then this new one, The Cape. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, if it catches on or if they try some more. Because I, I do think that the superhero genre, special effects have come to the point now where you can do superheroes on TV, and I'm surprised we don't see more of it. Well, with No Ordinary Family, Michael Chiklis plays, of course, the father of this small family that acquires different superpowers that seem to reflect what they lack in their personalities. Like he doesn't feel strong, so he becomes a strong man. His wife feels she has too much to do, so she becomes the female counterpart of the Flash, that kind of thing. The daughter feels she doesn't understand her friends or have the right intuitive power, so she develops mind reading. And the son feels he's not smart enough, so he becomes the super brain. 
Yeah, it's very Stan Lee. Stan Lee was always good at having his – I think the way – when I went to Comic-Con last year, I was on a panel uh, – or was on a panel. I was on a panel, but no. I went to a panel uh, that Stan Lee was on, and they were talking – before he got there, uh, some of the other comics writers were talking about what made him great. And I hadn't really thought about it, but one of them said – I think it was Paul Cornell um, – said Stan Lee's superheroes don't get the powers – that they that they want, they get the powers that they that, need, that they need or that they deserve. And, and and ordinary family is interesting like that, where it's like you know this is the, you, the power you get has something to do with who you are and what your weaknesses are, and it may not be good that you get it, but it's the power that you need to get. And I, I love that. And that was Stan Lee's classic thing that he always he always had uh, that idea that that uh, you know Peter Parker probably could have. Had spider powers were probably not the thing that would have been the best fit for him, but those were the ones that he needed to be Spider-Man. So, um, no ordinary family. It's a nice idea, and I love that kind of superhero concept. So, you know, like I said, I hope that we see more more shows try to do that sort of thing. Now, no ordinary family has middling ratings. Yeah, it's, it's not, an okay show. They're trying to have series arcs about this other group of scientists developing superpowers in the villainous characters, and we have to see where that goes. A little too heroes for me. I, 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 sometimes I think TV shows today, are, um, especially genre shows, get a little too arc-heavy and that they might be better off keeping it light. I mean, one of the nice things about Lost is that um, the first year of Lost essentially didn't have a story arc. There were a couple points in there, but very little, and it was all about the characters and about getting into the world. And the problem with Heroes, I remember this too, is that you know you get swept away. It was like that with um, Flash Forward as well. You get swept away in the overall story arc and uh, the mythology uh, before you really get to know the characters. X-Files was like this. X-Files sort of spent a year before it had an, an arc episode. The last episode of the first season, there were, there were kind of things happening. You're like, oh my god, there's an overarching story here. But up till that point, they spent time building the characters and having interesting one-off stories. And then, of course, all you thought, oh, a couple of kooky FBI agents go out and they check all these paranormal events, and that's where it goes. And that's where we go. So, Jason Snell, tell us where we can find more of the things that you do. All right. Uh, Macworld.com is where you can find me pontificating and, and my staff pontificating about all things Mac and, and reviewing things and all that. And I would encourage everybody who's enjoyed the discussion of uh, geeky TV and things like that to visit theincomparable.com or search for The Incomparable Podcast on iTunes. That's my sci-fi and other geeky topics podcast that I'm doing every week now and have been doing. There are about 20 episodes up now. So I encourage people to check that out if they want to hear about geeky movies and TV and books and comics and stuff like that. And that's where he's going to go when he retires, let me tell you. Jason yes. Snell, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Owl Live. Thanks. Hi, this is Tamar from Namecheap. We're a domain name and web hosting company, and we really care about our customers. With domain name purchases, Namecheap offers free SSL and free WhoisGuard for a year to protect your identity from spammers. Most importantly, we care about you. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at radio.namecheap.com, radio.namecheap.com for web hosting and domain name specials. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Namecheap or become a fan of ours on Facebook at facebook.com slash Namecheap. See you online. 
In this connected world, your Mac needs to be protected from the many threats that come over the Internet. But how can you stay up to date with the security issues that now affect Macs? The Mac Security Blog covers all the security threats to Macs, keeps you informed about essential updates to your software, and alerts you when new threats or malware are discovered. Keep your Mac safe. Visit the Mac Security Blog at blog.intego.com. That's blog.intego.com, blog.intego.com. Extend your life with After my second heart attack, I knew I needed more help than I had. That's when Extendivite came into my life. Made from garlic, cayenne, and five other herbs, I started to feel better in a very short time. My name's Don Wiskin, and I'm here because of Extendivite. Extendivite gave me more energy than I've had in years. I am the only one in my house right now that's not sick from colds or flus. And I owe that all to Extendivite. My name is Rick, and I'm healthy because of Extendivite. To get your Extendivite, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit the website at heartdrop.com. That's H-E-A-R-T-D-R-O-P dot com. Extend your life with Again, the Congressional Budget Office sounds the alarm, this time warns of Greek-style U.S. debt crises. You heard me right. The GAO is drawing a parallel between the U.S. economy, its debt, and the current Greek economic meltdown. With the debt-to-GDP chart climbing into unfamiliar territory, the growing budget deficit will rise to unsupportable levels. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. The Federal Debt and Risk of Financial Crises document the CBO has published is a must-read for every American. Covering the risk of continued deficit spending coupled with an aging population and the rising interest rates spell economic disaster. It's imperative that you get a copy of this document and study it for yourself. Call me today at 800-686-2237 and I'll send you a free copy. Again, call 800-686-2237 and ask for your copy of the CBO document. Once again, you need to read this government report. Call 800-686-2237. Question, what would you rather drink, acidic water which burns holes in your body and causes loss of bone mass, or alkaline water which promotes high energy and vibrant health? The answer is clear. And if you're drinking acidic water, you're helping cancer cells and bacteria to grow out of control. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals. Using Plasma pH Drops is the best way to alkalize your water and help you get rid of acid and regain your health and energy. Simply put 10 drops in the water you drink to the pH to a healthy alkaline level. Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. Disease organisms like bacteria, viruses, or cancer cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops now by going directly to AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or by calling 269-409-1776. Again, 269-409-1776. On air, online, and on demand. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night All Live, send it to news at technightall.com. That's news at technightall.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night All community forums at 
forum.technightowl.com. Get in on all the action. That's forum.technightowl.com. Stephen Levy from Wired Magazine joins us for the first time, and we hope it's not the last, although with some people, after they hear me for 30 minutes, they think, you know what, I don't want to talk to this guy. But, Stephen, you're a gentleman, and I know that you won't think that. Let's see. (laughs) Okay, let's look at some of the things that have come out of the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas this week. And, of course, there's the requisite keynote speech from Steve Ballmer at Microsoft. And I don't know about you, but I got the feeling in reading what he said that he was living in 2007. Am I wrong about that? Well, I, maybe that's not totally fair. I think you've got to give him something. It's the first time in a while where he's come on there with something successful that's really new from Microsoft. The Connect thing, I think, was uh, a, a big success and uh, a uh, the first time in a long time, Microsoft can claim, hey, we took the technical leadership on something, we brought all this stuff out of our research lab and, and actually uh, brought it out in, in a way that caught the popular imagination and, and moved move the ball on that. So there was a lot of stuff in, in his keynote, but I think the centerpiece was we're, we're an innovative player. Every year, Microsoft says innovation, innovation, innovation. This time they had something to back it up. Now, Connect, for those who are reading the Connect for Dummies book, what should we tell them about what this product is? It's sort of um, a grown-up uh, Wii um, that uh, you could – it's a, it's a game platform, but uh, I think the technology will find its way into other things. They can see you and you control, you know, the game, you know, just by your body movement. You don't need a a, a joystick or uh, any kind of device uh, to do it, and it does a pretty good job of, of doing it. Someone that every person who uses it uh, is uh, delightfully surprised. This sounds like kind of what you saw in some of those computer nerd movies of the 1980s. That's true, but uh, uh, like, like a lot of things, though, you know, we, we, those things usually never come about. And this time, uh, in Microsoft, there were many, many years in the, in, the, in the lab made it happen. I mean, typically, what would usually happen with Microsoft is you'd see something in a lab, and five years later, you'd go and visit the labs, and they'd show you the same demo, and you wonder why isn't this in a product? Uh, and then this is a case where they they took some of that stuff and actually put it in a product. Now, that takes us to Surface. There's a Surface 2.0. Does anyone care about Surface? Well, I I actually thought Surface was a a, a great idea that Microsoft really did nothing with it. It it was sort of amazing to me that they came out with Surface, which is basically, you know, a, a to make tables or desks uh, into the interactive spaces there. And, you know, then again, you think of Tron, right? The early Tron uh, is a science fiction thing. But uh, it was just used as, you know, you go to a, a, a couple of bars and, you know, play the, really a, a pong game or order drinks with it is in a couple of locations in, in, in the world. It's really hard to find. So they didn't really do anything with it. So it's good to see that they're coming back with it. Uh, it's nowhere near a price point where uh, real people would use it. But but uh, one would hope it gets down because it, eventually, I think it's a good idea to, to think you're sitting down at your desk and, not, and that's interactive. And uh, if you're worried about having a keyboard for your iPad, uh, well, your desk is, is, is the keyboard there. It's like an iPad grown up about eight times. Yeah, many, many times that. And, uh, and I think... Uh, Walls can do that, and you know, uh, minority report kind of stuff happens. Then again, no one, no one's 
chasing them in in that space, and I think that um, they should make hay while that's best the case. A good chance. Of course, with tablets, Microsoft was touting tablets for, what, about a decade now, and it took Apple to figure out how to make it go beyond the vertical markets. Right. Well, the Microsoft's big mistake, and they, they were right there in, in, in tablets, and I was doing a story, and it, and it was a great heritage thing because some of the designers of the tablets were the, the people who invented the Xerox Star, which was the predecessor to the Macintosh, um, but there was an insistence that these things run on Windows. And that was the wrong choice, uh, and it helped slow it down. The technology also wasn't quite ready. The technology were think it could perceive uh, the input on the screen was sort of clunky, and you know, it just didn't give you that feedback that you get with uh, the iPad and other multi-touch phones like uh, the iPhone and Android. So it. It, it didn't happen there. It, it, it wasn't ready, and it wasn't done right. And you know, now Microsoft is on the sidelines. It's tough to see them getting it back in, in tablets in a big way because the, the Apple's competitor seems to be Android. Now, the other thing about what Microsoft is doing is they discovered ARM processors, right? <laughs> which is something that, of course, Apple was originally a big partner in ARM. They've incorporated them on their iOS devices. Now, Microsoft discovers this three or four years later. Is that one of these games where Microsoft touts something that everybody else has already done? Well, for Microsoft, it, it's a big deal. So there's, there's, they're in their bubble, and they're a company which still makes lots and lots of money from their, from their cash cows, and their engine runs on a certain kind of fuel. And one of them, you know, is the... The, the Intel partnership, so it's, it's a very big deal for them to go off and you know uh, and, and leave Intel be uh, behind in, in a major space there. Uh, so for people who are inside that world, that's big news. But for the rest of us, you know, people say, well, what, what took you so long? And as far as Intel is concerned, where do they go from this? Do they want to try to buy ARM? There were reports of that at one time. I don't know. It might be, it might be tough. They have their you know antitrust uh, history there. But it, you know, to me, this is this is great for Intel. Anything which makes them force themselves to really you know to be you know, more more competitive is 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 good for them. They they they're uh, stretching out is uh, tended to be to try to be you know more in the, in the consumer world themselves, uh, and you know uh, they'll do the world a better favor by just concentrating on, on, on what they do, but doing it better. Uh, and you know, I, I think this forces them in, into doing that. So we'll, we'll get a benefit from this. Now, as far as Steve Ballmer is concerned, did he have anything else of any significance to say? Some people were underwhelmed, I gather. Well, uh, it was it, it's a show. I mean, you know, they, he, he goes to the show and he tries to to, to show stuff that dazzles. Uh, it's it's a little interesting how he got grandfathered into that role of being the opener of CES. I mean, you know, this was the Bill Gates plot, right? And Gates was the Pope of CES. He would come in and he'd bless the thing, and he'd you know say what was going on, and people would make some of the same snarky remarks they're they're making about uh, Balmer and Microsoft now. But he was Bill Gates, and, and, and that counted for something. Um, it's interesting that they, they left it to him. I, I suspect that CES would be much happier if 
a different Steve agreed to be the Pope of CES, you know, who is the real power, which would be Steve Jobs. Uh, he doesn't go to CES. He likes his own shows. But uh, it would be seismic if one day Steve Jobs decided to, you know, come off the mountaintop of Cupertino and, you know, uh, told the people at CES, I'd like to make a keynote. But, but of course, it would have to be the first slot. Uh, and you know what? I don't kind of believe it will happen, but it would be really nice. We'll get into more of that in a moment. Stephen Levy, he writes for Wired Magazine, has a great background as a tech journalist for a number of years. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from some any formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You can download a version that is mostly full-featured. Try it out, and if you like it, it's just $34.95 for Graphic Converter from LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-S-O-F-T.com. LemkeSoft.com for my favorite Graphic Converter. If you own a septic system or if you're facing costly septic system replacement, this message is for you. When you want to stop paying for pump outs and avoid backups, when you've had enough of the foul odors and costly repairs, use BioSafe One Septic Solution. Now there's an easy-to-use, 100% guaranteed answer to all your septic system problems. BioSafe One Septic Solution. BioSafe One is patented and made specifically for all septic systems and made by the same team of scientists to help clean up the Exxon Valdez oil spill. BioSafe One decontaminates and removes sludge, stops costly pump-outs and repairs, and removes septic system stench, all with a 100% success rate. See what gives BioSafe One Septic Solution the advantage over any other septic product at BioSafeOne.com. That's B-I-O-S-A-F-E-O-N-E.com. BioSafeOne.com. Or call toll-free 1-866-424-6663. That's 1-866-424-6663. BioSafe One, the guaranteed, bio-friendly, money-saving way to clean your septic system. Fight back this cold and flu season with the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. Why Ali C? Because it helps your body fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Ali C has been scientifically proven in double-blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin, the active ingredient in crushed garlic. Studies show Ali C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Ali C has the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic. Ali C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 1-877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com for your Ali C today. 
Go solar for cheap. Want to use solar power but the price is too high? Now you can build your own solar panels for less than $200 at 123cheapsolar.com. Don't laugh. We've sold over 45,000 solar do-it-yourself kits. Watch the step-by-step videos that even non-handyman types can use. We offer a 60-day money-back guarantee. Go to 123cheapsolar.com or call 800-713-0486. 800-713-0486. Reduce your foreign oil dependency when you go green with 123cheapsolar.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carding to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a silver dollar in a book explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. You're listening to the Tech Night All Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what to expect. We continue with Stephen Levy. We're talking about CES, the Steve Ballmer keynote, whether it was possible that Steve Jobs would come off the mountaintop at Cupertino from the Apple campus and grace them with his presence. But Apple's presence is felt regardless of whether Apple is there or not. Apple is almost ever-present in a lot of the announcements from companies, right? That's right. Um, Even though it used to be that the sort of Damocles hanging over CES was what was Steve going to do at Macworld, whether it was uh, at the same time as CES, and people, you know, journalists have to shuttle back and forth uh, between San Francisco and Las Vegas, or whether it was uh, the, the the next week, and there was, you know, this this tension that hung over the CES, waiting for uh, the big the biggest player, really, in consumer electronics now, to, to, to weigh in. This year, there's no imminent new Apple device there, but there is the next version of the iPad. Uh, the iPhone still is the smartphone leader, and what happens there, and then this you know what the thunder stealer, I guess, to some degree, uh, you could say, was the the Mac App Store, uh, which came out this week. But in this case, probably the the the, the CES noise was a little louder than the Mac App Store noise. Uh, just in you know from from where I'm perceiving it in San Francisco, I I, I eschewed Las Vegas this week. Maybe you were lucky. <laughs> well, I'm always good to avoid those cab lines. Well, that must be it, too. Yeah. yeah. I like to drive around the places I go to. I don't like the cab lines either. But I know from New York I have to encounter that when I go back to visit New York. But, okay, let's just take a look at this. The Mac App Store opens this week. I know you've yet to download your copy and really evaluate it. It's part of the 10.6.6 update. But mm-hmm. does it make a huge difference after the initial splash? Well, okay, it's just another way to get your apps. I think – we have to just take a somewhat of a wait-and-see thing here. Really, I have talked to some developers who have built a plan, uh, their company plan, really, around exp- exploiting the, the App Store. There are people, uh, developers, who see this as a way to, to, to rise above the noise and get uh, an application into the hands of, of, of Mac users and, and maybe make some money out of it there. Uh, it has to be a process, you know, because people in the Mac world, you know, besides the, the, the geeks and bleeding edgers, aren't used to this 
process there. So the, the question is, will the, 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 the people, you know, your mom's got a Mac now. Is she going to go to the app store? Uh, it ha- people have to learn, you know, that it's there, to go there. And even if they're uh, doing it uh, to some degree on, on, on the phone, it is a new thing with a, a, a desktop or laptop computer. There's a report out today from Apple saying that there were one million downloads in the first day involving 1,000 free and paid apps, which means that every app gets a chance of having 100 downloads. <laughs> well, See, I can yeah, add I mean, fast. It could, be the same, it could be the same 100 people downloading a lot of times. It would be interesting. You know, look, there, there is a, a, a giant community of you know the Mac rabid Mac fans who are, who are going to uh, test this out there uh, but I think the impressive stuff like for iTunes is when they started uh, rating things in the billions and let, 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 let's see when that happens well I know I was discussing this in our previous segment with Jason Snell from Mac world just going into the mechanics how things work how and why you can't or can't handle updates for stuff you already have on your Mac multiple user licensing, that kind of thing. So there are a lot of issues. It's a 1.0 version. There are lots of types of apps that won't work. You can't have an application suite right now that has these shared libraries and files sprawled across your hard drive. You don't have Adobe Creative Suite or Microsoft Office or things like that, or even Logic Studio from Apple. So right now there's a lot of work to be done, I think, in an app store. But there's another thing that Apple came out with some weeks back that's still kind of a conundrum as to whether it's ever going to go anywhere, and that is King, their effort to have social networking with your music libraries. Is that going to go anywhere? Is that a big flop? What? Right. Well, that, that's what I, I did my column this month on Wired about that. I, I find it disappointing, actually, in, in part because, you know, uh, it's not really Apple's fault, but uh, you can't get access to uh, your contacts on the biggest social network, Facebook. And I think that that, that is an issue that if Facebook doesn't open up, they're going to want to find themselves facing regulation there. And it hobbles any special uh, niche social network like a music one that Apple wants to start, even a giant like Apple uh, can you know, get get off on, on on its own because of that, and in other ways, you know, it it, it seems a little more focused on uh, selling music, a little more you know on how it could serve iTunes rather than it can serve uh, the users there. You know, when it first came out, of course, everyone uh, tried to like a Beatles song, and then you get a message saying, "Well, you know, we, we, who are the Beatles? You know, they don't exist because they're not in our iTunes store." And then, uh, of course, that got fixed um, when Steve finally got his white whale of the iTunes store and brought, brought in the Beatles there. But still, uh, there's you know, you you can't just see an unsigned band and tout them, uh, which is what you want to do on the social music site, and then blame to you know something that's their music there, or even just say I like it because uh, it's it's not selling, and you know like I'm disappointed in a lot of the artist streams because they seem to be uh, created not by the artists themselves when you follow Neil Young or Bruce Springsteen or something like that, but some you know funky in a PR department saying you could buy this now, you could buy that now, or, you know, and that that really isn't too interesting and. Um, doesn't really uh, make people feel like part of the community, but feel like they, they, they've walked into uh, some area full of ads. 
I also wonder whether it's going to be a CEO to CEO discussion between the CEO of Facebook and the CEO of Apple to say, hey, you know, we need to work together. Let's find a way to do it. Apparently, from what I understand, they've had the <laughs> discussion, but when it, came, when it came to actually implementing it, uh, some things fell apart there. Um, eventually, I think that probably is going to work out because uh, of the mutual enemies theory there. Um, you know, so Facebook uh, is a company that is, you know, going to find itself uh, at odds with Google and Apple and Google have a full pitch rivalry at this point. Uh, so uh, maybe, you know, those, those two companies that are by, by and large, you know, totally complementary uh, will have reason to, you know, have an alliance there. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right. But doesn't it seem also Apple seems to be getting on better with Microsoft these days because of Google? Well, I think, you know, the, the, Microsoft you know, clearly sees Google as, you know, uh, higher on the, on, the, on the rivalry stack there. But, um, uh, you know, don't forget, you know, Apple has you know, uh, taken the, the, the thunder in, in tablets and phones and really is finding itself, you know, uh, closer to the point of dominance than Microsoft did uh, in when, you know, Windows took off. So um, I, I wouldn't think, you know, too much of what seems like less noise about the Apple-Microsoft rivalry there. Um, believe me, Microsoft, you know, is not happy at all uh, about where, where Apple's gone in, in, in those spaces there. And, you know, if you were an employee in, in Redmond, Washington of, of Microsoft, and you're seen with an iPhone, that doesn't enhance your uh, uh, promotion opportunities. <laughs> Well, of course, it could be a lawsuit saying, hey, they saw me using an iPhone. I lost out on my opportunity to go to a higher grade job where I was being considered for twice the pay. It's their fault. It's discrimination against iPhones. I'm going to sue them. I don't think it's going to happen, but what the heck? I don't, I don't think it's going to happen, and I don't think they would win either. But, uh, uh, I, I went to a Microsoft event once where you know they they they, they laid it down. You know, the, the speaker was saying, you know, yeah, my kids wanted an and I um, an iPod, and you know they couldn't have it. You know, they wanted an iPhone. You know, no, 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 not, not in my family. Um, so uh, it's it's almost like. Uh, Someone, you know, going outside the religion or something like that, and um, uh, you know, it's a, being ostracized in a classic sense, like, like, you know, like almost like the Amish or something like that. Yeah, I'll tell you what, we'll be ostracized if I don't tell our listeners. We have Stephen Levy on the show. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs> Hey neighbors, Nuance offers Dragon speech recognition for a variety of platforms. Dragon Dictate for Mac, Dragon Naturally Speaking 11 for Windows, and Dragon Mobile Apps for BlackBerry, iPhone, and iPad. No matter how you compute, Dragon instantly converts what you say into text, helping you be more productive just by talking. Find out more at GetDragon.com. That's GetDragon.com. GetDragon.com. 
Hi, this is Tamar from Namecheap. We're a domain name and web hosting company, and we really care about our customers. With domain name purchases, Namecheap offers free SSL and free WhoisGuard for a year to protect your identity from spammers. Most importantly, we care about you. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at radio.namecheap.com, radio.namecheap.com for web hosting and domain name specials. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Namecheap or become a fan of ours on Facebook at facebook.com slash Namecheap. See you online. New Year, new way to smoke, and it's Totally Wicked. Introducing Totally Wicked e-liquid electronic cigarettes, the highest quality e-cigarettes in the world. With Totally Wicked e-liquid cigarettes, there's no flame, no secondhand smoke, no carbon monoxide, no tar, no unsightly brown teeth or fingers, and no lingering smell. Totally Wicked e-liquid cigarettes have a battery charge that lasts up to eight hours. Plus, with a Totally Wicked Tornado model, the average pack-a-day smoker is likely to save over $1,000 a year. The Totally Wicked Tornado provides a storm of vapor. See it at totallywicked-eliquid.com. That's totallywicked-eliquid.com. Or call 888-761-9425. Get a 15% discount with promo code GCNLIVE. Go to totallywicked-eliquid.com. Or call 888-761-9425. That's 888-761-9425 or online at totallywicked-eliquid.com. Totally Wicked e-liquid cigarettes, the next generation of alternative smoking. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget... CrossbreedHolsters.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Not all protein supplements are created equal. One World Way is the first cold temperature processed, 100% all-natural, unrefined, bioactive, grass-pasture-raised milk whey protein. Far from being another ordinary protein supplement, One World Way is a full-spectrum nutrition power food in and of itself, providing overall life-building benefits that touch virtually every human's life that other protein supplements don't deliver on. What are the benefits? Boosts the immune system, anti-aging properties, helps detoxification, helps reduce body fat, excellent for building lean muscle, increases energy levels, enhances the feelings of youth, sports performance, exercise recovery. Who's it for? Busy people, hardworking executives, students, teachers, active seniors, people recovering from illness, office workers, construction workers, and high-performance athletes. Call 888-988-3325 or visit... OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorld, W-H-E-Y.com. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. You're listening to the Tech Night Out Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what to expect. 
We're back with the final session of the episode. I'm with Stephen Levy. He writes for Wired Magazine, and we've been discussing lots of things related to Apple and Microsoft. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. And, of course, hanging over everything, of course, we have Apple hanging over the CES with smartphones, with tablet computers. There's a story out this week that the Verizon, long-awaited Verizon wireless version of the iPhone will launch the first part of February, February 3rd to 6th. What's your feeling about that? Well, a lot of people are waiting for it. Uh, you know, Verizon uh, is known to have a, a better, more reliable network than AT&T. And the big question is whether all the problems people have been having with AT&T and, and the iPhone are solely due to the perceived weaknesses of the AT&T network, or does the iPhone make such a demand on any network that you're going to see these drop calls and, uh, and other problems that you, that you see um, on, on AT&T. So some people are saying, wow, thank God, finally I can get on you know, the Verizon, which other, you know, uh, all my, 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 my friends have who don't have iPhones or, you know, or people have switched to Android uh, you know, because of some of the, the problems there. Or is it something that is partially, you know, the way the, the iPhone works and you'll see problems in the Verizon version of, of the iPhone. Uh, this is the great question that we'll finally see answered. Well, the other thing we're also going to have to see here is whether or not people from AT&T are going to jump to Verizon Wireless once their contracts are up because the iPhone is offered there. And I have to point out also that AT&T gets a miserable rating from customers. It, it certainly does, and that's you know. And, and my, I'm not happy with it. I've got an, an iPhone uh, four, and I'm not happy with AT and T. You know, the rest of my family uh, is on the Verizon network, um, and uh, my son uses a Droid, uh, Droid two, and he, he, he's pretty happy with it. And but I. I'm, I'm waiting to see how how the Verizon iPhone is going to work. If the Verizon iPhone you know works as as well as the Droid and the other phones on on that network work, uh, I'm I'm out by AT and T. I'm I'm on Verizon then. Well, of course, one of the other issues with Verizon's network, at least now, is that you can't talk and browse at the same time. That was a big issue AT and T raised in their ads. That's true, um, but I'd give that up for the ability to really reliably make a phone call without having it drop. Well, of course, in San Francisco, you're in one of the worst environments for AT&T, also New York. Yeah, and it, it, it blows the mind, doesn't it, that those two places, uh, the place where people, you know, like write about it and, and you know, and the opinion makers form their perceptions, uh, you know, aren't, aren't up to snuff there. That, 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 that's kind of amazing. Um, you know, uh, Eventually, you know, we we hope that as these 4G networks build out, uh, you know, we're 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 going to see uh, some something better there. But I don't I don't see that happening very quickly. Um, and you want things you know spread out everywhere. I mean, this is just part of a very you know large problem that's going to be with us a long time. Is we just don't have the coverage that that we need. Even 3G is. Uh, insufficient in, in, in for a lot of things we want to do. Um, you got Google promoting a, a, a different version, really, of, of, of computing, one that's, that's always connected, that's going to have a lot of trouble uh, catching on because 
of the connectivity problem there. Um, they say, well, uh, you know, they have these um, uh, notebooks that, that, that come out running the Chrome OS, and I've got one. Um, and I'm pretty impressed with it in some ways, but in other ways, when you're not on Wi-Fi, you you're on the 3G, and you know, uh, and then you know, cause if you the plan will be if you go beyond a, a certain amount of, of, of data use, you know, you start racking up charges there. But uh, without connectivity, uh, that thing isn't all that useful. And I, I think the future really is ubiquitous connectivity, and other countries are going there, but we're not there, and uh, with the you know, political power of the, the companies, the, the very few companies that do supply us our, our bandwidth, um, we're not going to be there for a while because, you know, they're, 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 they want the, the right to build it out as slowly as they want and, and in a way where there's no competition. Well, of course, this is also the issue of net neutrality. Will the various providers want to halt traffic from rival companies, from places where there's too much bandwidth demand. It's going to be a little bit of a mess for a while, isn't it? Well, yeah, it is. I've, I've been following that one, you know, uh, pretty pretty closely. I've been down to D.C. a few times, um, and actually went to the meeting where um, the, uh, the chairman Julius Jankowski, the FCC's. Uh, Version of, of of net neutrality uh, got passed by, by by the FCC, and you know one thing is going to be challenged in the courts, but uh, and it specifically blocks what you said is you know like a, a network being able to say uh, here's a competing app in uh, video uh, or phone uh, you know, voice, and we we can block that, but it it opens the door to these tiered services where. Um, You'll uh, be, be charged, you know, for how much you use, you know, for how much data you use, and I, I think that that's terrible because uh, if you look back in history, uh, one of the signal moments of the internet was when AOL decided, you know, we're not going to charge by the hour anymore. You know, a lot of your listeners might not remember this, but it used to be when you went online, you would pay a few bucks an hour uh, just to be online. Uh, it was $4 and, an hour on AOL, and that was cheap because if you joined CompuServe, it could be $10 or more in peak hours. Right, right. And even if you didn't use, even if you had like a certain amount of hours to use, and you know, if you didn't use that much, the whole experience of being online was affected by this meter clicking in your head and other countries are proceeding without that meter and a lot of great businesses you know youtube comes comes to mind you know are, are really built on the, the, the premise that there's no meter that we, we we could go anywhere and and if there's no meter then again there's this incentive to build out networks that are more powerful and more and have more capacity. Well, certainly from a customer's right. standpoint, I want faster service. I go to my internet provider, Cox Communications, and I say, I want faster. And they say, we have this tier. If you want it, you get, it's up to 55 megabits download. Okay, you pay more money for it. Right, but now, now besides paying speed, they're going to measure how much data you use. And Ultimately, and you see, that's also in the fine print sometimes, where you kind of think it's unlimited, and maybe it is, but if you look in the fine print, at some point, unlimited becomes limited for a few people who supposedly abuse the network. We have about a right. minute left, so let's start moving to the end of this. Right, but, but what happens is, in, in, in practice, when they get to set those limits there, uh, they don't set them at the limits 
by which the, you mentioned where people, you know, use, you know, a couple hundred you know, gigs of, of downloads uh, every month. They said they set them much lower. A couple of years ago, um, Time Warner, I think, uh, did this experiment uh, in Texas where they announced they were going to do an experiment in Texas. And the, and the, the cutoffs were just a few, a few gigabytes that if you downloaded two HD movies uh, during the month, that's it. You know, there, there, there's your month of, of data in that plan. Uh, and, you know, uh, you look at it and, and say, gee, it's not kind of interesting that if I can't download two movies um, uh, in a Time Warner area, I guess I have to go to Time Warner to get my movie on, on demand on, 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 the, on the cable there. And suddenly uh, so, there'll be no limit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that... that, that, that um, we're, you know, hobbling ourselves really as a country and also impoverishing our users to take that course there. I think that's definitely not the way to go. I'll tell you what, where do we go to find more of the things that you write about, Stephen? Well, you can go to Wired Magazine, where uh, I have a column that appears regularly. I write, I write features uh, fairly often. And you, know, you could uh, uh, check out my books, and then you could wait until April, where my new book about Google will come out, Amaplex. And we'll have you on the show then, because I can't wait to talk about Google. A reminder, listeners, you can find more of what we do on Twitter. We have little tweets every so often, Tech Night Owl at Twitter, Tech Night Owl at Twitter. The other radio show is the Paracast about UFOs and things that go bump in the night at Paracast.com. Paracast.com. My columns are at TechNightOwl.com. Just write this down or replay it. TechNightOwl.com. A special thank you for Stephen Levy. Thanks for joining us this week on the Tech Night Owl Live. Thanks for watching. The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.